בשם השם נעשה ונצליח שהוא תורה always amazing to be in Miami the Miami group, Olgers group, ברוך השם continues to grow, ברוך השם we continue to get closer and closer to השם יתברך uh, one thing I can tell you today is uh, hold on to your seats because there's going to be some fireworks ברוך uh, השם our series of פרקי אבות has now reached 40 uh, 40 different shiurim, each one on the average between two and a half to three hours of uh, different things that we tried, Baruch Hashem, all because of Hashem, uh, to be very different from the previous ones. Uh, usually we try to study hard enough where we have the merit, not the knowledge, but the merit, that Hashem will give us new chidushim to say every shiur so no one gets bored. And also to prove to everyone that... The Torah is endless, not just because of these 40 chidushim or 40 different shiurim, because there's an endless amount of Torah. You, go, you watch my shiurim, you watch from Mizrahi shiurim, you watch from Alon and other shiurim, all of these different rabbis, they don't say the same thing, see different things. So, Baruch Hashem, you see that the Torah is endless. Now, also before I forget, let's do some refuah uh, shlema. Uh, this shiur will also be for Refua Shlema for Michel Koto, Amparo Bolufe, Ruven Joseph Ben Rivka, Sara Lea Batsara, Gladys Nunez, Edin Magorero, Josefina Matos, Esperanza Avila, Raquel Sandler and Monty Sandler, Duardes Rensoli, Yeshua Michael Ben Hadassa, David Gamliel Ben Hadassa, Nancy Duesa, Duesa? Duesa. Uh, Patricia Valmana, Sonia Suarez, Nicole Valmana, Augustine Hernandez, Jorge Hernandez, Isabel Betancourt, Betancourt, uh, Liliana Antibonida, Gilberto Meneses, Jacqueline Rojas, Roger Prado, Ada Vasquez, uh, Jocelyn Morizon, Edna Vasquez. Edna Vasquez. Mercedes. Mercedes. David Ben Nasria. And all of Am Yisrael, may Hashem give them in the merit of this year, or anyone that I remembered, anyone that I forgot, or anyone that I think of, may Hashem give them refuah shlema, refuah tanefesh, refuah taguf, and give them the merit to see the light, to see the truth of the Torah in this world. So today, Baruch Hashem, we are up to shiur number 40. It's a uh, very special number in the Torah you'll see that the number 40 is one of the few numbers that reappears in the Torah. Just like the number 7 reappears several times in the Torah, the number 40 appears several times in the Torah, whether it's a after 40 days of the Mabul, uh, it took and went into the next level. Uh, whether it's a uh, 40 days and 40 nights that Moshe Rabbeinu was in Mount Sinai, and several other times the Torah mentions the number 40, as a uh, symbolic number for renewal, a symbolic number for something renewed, refreshed, and in essence, a completion of tshuva. So, Baruch Hashem, 
We uh, had the merit to do all of these shurim with you, and uh, today we're going to continue the Perkei Avot uh, series. But before that, we're going to continue the uh, public service announcement that we started yesterday uh, in regards to, unfortunately, the war, the uh, silent war that's happening all over the Western world, especially in the United States, with that many people just fail to pay attention to, either because they're naive or clueless or ignorant, whatever the case may be. Right now, the war of Gog and Magog physically has already started. There's really no denial. You see what's happening with Russia, Syria, Turkey, the United States, North Korea. I mean, there's no, there's no secret we're at war. But we're not talking about this war. That's not the dangerous war. The dangerous war that Am Yisrael is in right now is the war that most of Am Yisrael don't even know they're in. And that's the spiritual war we have against Edom, against Esav, against Christianity, against the New Testament, against the Abu Zarah that many people are trying to somehow fit into a box and make it look okay. You know, if you repackage a pig with a bow, he's still a pig. But today's politically correct world is making the same mistake we've made several times in history, which is trying to repackage the pig. <coughs> They're trying to repackage the Avodah that's written about in the New Testament in a nicer way to make them look like it's okay to be a Oved Avodah to be an idol worshiper. No, maybe they're not idol worshiping. Maybe they're just, you know, saying he's the Mashiach and not really God. Maybe, uh, you know, look, they mean well. They invest a lot of money into uh, the land of Israel. You know, so what's the, what's the quarrel about? Although all of those things seem nice, and although different organizations like APAC, the Jewish Federation, and uh, uh, I think Christians for Israel, and many, many other organizations invest millions upon millions of dollars into Israel. I'm afraid to break the news to anyone that hasn't woken up yet that this is not a gift per se. This is a investment, this is more of a loan, which eventually is going to get called. Eventually the uh, lender is going to want his money back with interest. Meaning, they're not investing into the land of Israel because they really want the Jews to remain Jews. They're investing because ultimately they're hoping and praying that all of these Jews become Christians. And anyone that says otherwise is either a fool or blind. <clears throat> and how do we know this? Simply by looking into their New Testament. Now, unless you're doing this professionally, you're not allowed to look into the New Testament, according to the Rambam. But if you simply look into the New Testament, you don't have to go too far. If you talk to any real Christian, you don't have to go too far. If they're not denying it in any way, shape, or form, their number one mission in life is to convert Jews. Just like we believe that to save a Jew, a fellow Jew saves another Jew, bought himself his own Olamaba. Your whole life living here suffering like Job for 70 years is worth it if you're able to make one Jew do tshuva. 
One Jew. Not the whole army Israel. Not a whole community. Not even your own family. One. One Jew. Pick any Jew in the world. You make him do tshuva. You make him keep Shabbat. Late filin. Keep talat mishpacha. Start becoming a woman. Becoming modest. Keep mitzvot. Keep Shabbat. All of those things. Your whole 70 years of suffering, even if you suffered like Job, is already worth it. Why do you have Allah about? You have eternity. For one Jew. Unfortunately, Hashem, everything that He created, He created an opposite, a contrary, something that's fighting it. So just like He has Kedusha, He has Tumah. So the Satan has implanted into the head of the followers of the New Testament that their number one mission is eventually to convert all the Jews. Now some may deny this and say, no, no, we're not trying to, you could stay you, we could stay us, but in reality the leaders, you talk to them, it's different. You don't want to talk to the leaders, just look at the book itself. Now if anyone says, listen, we don't follow what the book says, then that means that you're just creating your own religion, which is a different problem. So it's time this has finally been said of what does the Torah actually say about Christianity. If you remember several months ago, we actually had our, I think it was the number five or number six shiur in this uh, series, a uh, Mishnah, a Mishnah, the, uh, I believe it was the sixth Mishnah, sixth Mishnah in the whole series, which talked about something critical that happened in history. Yeshua ben Parachia. Yeshua ben Parachia says, make yourself a rabbi, acquire yourself a friend, and judge everyone favorably. So, this seems like an innocent word of advice from one of the greatest sages that ever lived, when you read the literal sentence. But when we actually study it together, we're obviously not going to repeat the whole thing, but when we study it together, we see that there's actually a much deeper meaning to that Mishnah, which is the fact that the whole Mishnah was written by Yeshua ben Parachia after his student, J.C. Penny, Jesus, whatever you want to call him, fell off the derech. Yeshua ben Parachia was one of the Tanaim Akdoshim, was one of the Giants that was so holy, he was able to revive the dead. And Shobin Parachia had many students, one of them was Jesus. And so Jesus was obviously, as everyone knows and no one denies, was originally a Jew, but he wasn't just a Jew, he was actually a Talmud Chacham. He was actually someone that knew a little bit of Torah. Now, in the Gemara, Jesus is mentioned multiple times. He's mentioned Masechet Sanhedrin, page 107. He's mentioned in Masechet Sotah, page 47. He's mentioned in Masechet Abu Zara, page 17, Brachot 17, and also Masechet Gitin. And a few other places are referencing him, but there's a debate of whether it's him or it's not. But nonetheless, he's mentioned countless times. But in most versions of the Gemara, you're not going to actually see Jesus' name. And the reason why is because after the Gemara was originally written, because it was all full of truth, we didn't think about political correctness. We didn't think about persecution. We didn't think about consequences. Am Yisrael heard. Am Yisrael wrote. 
But unfortunately, the evil Goim decided that the things we wrote in the Gemara about Jesus were not exactly very good for them. Because number one, it completely destroyed their religion, disproved their religion, and number two, it also made it look, it made fun of it, made a mockery of it. Now in Judaism we learn in the five books of Moses, and we also learn in the Gemara, which we went over yesterday, it's actually a mitzvah. It's actually one of the 600 mitzvot, 613 mitzvot, to make fun of idolatry. This is why we call J.C. J.C. Penny. It's not because we don't like Christians. Christians can be wonderful people. Unfortunately, they're mistaken. It can be wonderful people. We have nothing against them. This is not about racism. This is not about not liking Christians. I have plenty of people that I know that are wonderful people, but Christians. There's nothing against them. And to clarify it, this is nothing against the people, regardless of what religion they are. It's against idolatry. It's against things that are against God. It's the only thing that we care about. There's a very famous book about an event that took place nearly 900 years ago in the land of Kuzar. Some people say today it's called Georgia. Not America, Georgia. And the, uh, the king of Kuzar had a dream. His whole life he was trying to serve the one and only God. But he never knew which way to do it. So, what were the three major religions? There was Islam, there was Christianity, there was Judaism. Now, he immediately discounted Judaism. He said, there's only a few of them. They're all over the place. There's no way that the Jews are right. So he invited the Christian over. Christian priest, tell me about your religion. He started asking him questions. He goes, where's your source for all these answers that you give me? He goes, oh, it's the Jews. Our source is their Torah. Well, oh, okay. Bring, bring, bring a few. You're not the source. I want to go to the source. Why am I going to go to a middleman? Why am I going to go to the guy who chooses somebody else as a source? Let me go to someone else that actually has a source. So he calls the Arab. He calls the Muslim guy. He goes, okay, so tell me. He answers some questions. He gives him some answers. He goes, oh, okay, nice. What's your source? Where's, where'd you get your documentation from? Where'd you get your information from? He goes, oh, no, it's the Jews. They got it on Mount Sinai from God. He goes, oh, you too? So what am I going to deal with you for? Another middleman? What do we deal with the mechanic for? Let me go deal with the owner. So he invites the rabbi. Rabbi Yudah Levi wrote this book, and the entire book is truly 100% siyat nishmai. You see the conversation between the king of Kuzar and the rabbi and he asks him very, very difficult questions. The most difficult questions you could possibly imagine, philosophical questions, proofs, everything and anything you could want. This is why many uh, Batedin and rabbis that deal with conversions highly recommend everyone to read this book. This book should be read by every Jew, nonetheless, every person on earth, but definitely by people that are converts, because anyone that is converting might still have a subject of doubt. It's called Kuzari. The Kuzari. K-U-Z. K-U-Z. K is in Kelly. U. Z is in Zebra. A-R-I. 
The Kuzari. Uh, and it's a uh, there's several versions of it have been written. I think there's one of them by Feldheim and a few others. But nonetheless, it's a very famous book. It's uh, full of amazing information about Judaism, about the Torah, and really uh, the the whole philosophical uh, arguments, scientific arguments, any type of argument you have, it's in this book. It's a deep read, so it's well worth the effort. And at the end of this story. After the king got all of his questions answered, he eventually not only converted himself, but his entire people converted. And uh, the reason why many people believe that uh, the Kuzari is really the Georgians, the Georgian Jews of the Kuzari, is because uh, they don't have any Kohanim. Now, as you know, or as a reminder, only a natural born Jew could be a Kohen. So when an entire nation doesn't have Kohanim, an entire community of Georgian Jews don't have Kohanim, it makes it very interesting. How do you not have any Kohanim? So many believe that the Georgians are the original, uh, the converts uh, that started as the Kuzaris. So why do I mention this story? Because the Kuzarian king was actually very righteous, but he was trying to worship Hashem in different ways. He tried to follow this one, that one, and what led him to call the three major religious leaders was a dream. He had a dream where an angel came to him and an angel told him, God is saying that your intent is welcome, but your deeds are not. The fact that you want to worship God, it's welcome, we like it. But the way you're doing it is wrong. The way you're doing it is wrong. The fact that you say, listen, you believe in God, God, but if you're making J.C. Penny your Messiah, if you're worshipping him through the New Testament, if you're calling him God, or he's part of God, or anything like that, I'm sorry, my friend, you're doing it the wrong way. So this debate is not the first or the last. There's also a very, very famous debate that the Ramban, with the N at the end, had uh, in front of the king, uh, which obviously he won. And there's many debates throughout history that the Jews have had with Christianity. And uh, it's time after time, anytime we've sent one of our leaders to debate, they've won the debates. And even today, anyone that knows how to debate, it's five minutes you can beat Christianity. Unfortunately, some people don't know how to debate or they just like this limelight. So they go and they're a rabbi and they want to debate somebody that's really a miktsoi, that's really professional, and they look foolish. But when someone is a professional and knows how to debate, but not only that, knows the information, and I don't mean just know the Torah, know the other side. To win a debate, for anyone that ever wants to debate in anything in life, if you're a salesman, you need to debate. If you are one of our, you know, you're going to have, in general, life, day-to-day life, you're going to have certain arguments. You need to know how to win an argument one of the ways to win an argument that's the most valuable way most authentic way without yelling screaming and making yourself look like a fool is you need to know more information about the other side than they do simple if you're just using your own information they don't count your information as valid so you tell them listen it says in Exodus 23 da, 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 like yeah I don't consider Exodus anything yeah but it says in uh, the book of this uh, yeah I don't consider that anything so if you can prove them wrong through their own words, you won. You understand? 
So, a very famous debate that millions have watched by Rav Mizrahi has made thousands, if not tens of thousands of people convert to Judaism or at the very least become righteous Noahides and leave Christianity. Also, the many debates that Rabbi Tovia Singer has had uh, destroying Christianity time after another. It's not hard to be Christianity if you know the information. And again, it's not because we don't like Christians. We have the debates for two reasons. One, to make sure that our fellow brothers and sisters who are naive, ignorant, and foolish don't fall for it. And two, because we're supposed to be a light to the nations. So part of being light to the nations is trying to save whoever's really looking for a gem. So if you see someone that's looking to do what the Kuzarian king was doing, which is get connected to Hashem the right way, but he's doing it the wrong way. He's looking for Hashem. But someone told him along the way through Christianity. It's not his fault. He was born that way. Tell him, listen, my friend, let me redirect you. Tell him that, yeah, listen, your religion is garbage, it's stupid, it's this, it's not doing anything to him. All it does is create anti-Semitism. But tell him, listen, you're making it, your intent is good, but your actions are not. But how do you do it? You have to show a few things. So for anyone that wants to debate me in regards to this issue, especially the so-called rabbis that are covering for Christianity, that they make it look okay, like this kofer shmuli boteach, and several other kofrim that follow in that type of direction that make Christianity look okay, the message is this. It's very simple. The only document, other than our own oral Torah, which is the Gemara, which the Christians don't believe in, the only document that even says that Jesus was even alive, forget about what he did, didn't do, anything, is the New Testament. The only document. There was no newspaper that was written at the time that said, hey, Jesus died today, and then in a few days we're waiting for him. Nothing. Jesus just had a uh, Sudat Pesach. Nothing. No newspaper, no journal, no little drawing by six-year-old kids in kindergarten. No king wrote a book about him. Nothing. Only document at the time, New Testament. Problem is, at the time, is not really at the time. At the time, is 70 to 300 years after he died. Meaning, at the actual time, nothing. Zero. Now, this very same document called the New Testament tries to connect itself to the only divine document in existence which is the Torah which they call Old Testament now this New Testament says a few things the most important thing for us that it says to get us to our conclusion is that Jesus is part of the Trinity meaning that God is three, not one as soon as any document says that God is more than one it's no longer valid, you have to burn it it's actually a mitzvah to burn it so as a matter of fact, after I got home at about 2 o'clock in the morning last night from this year I made the mitzvah I had the school to make the mitzvah to burn those documents that I showed you guys last night that were sent to me by different missionaries so as soon as the document says that he is divine, it's no longer valid. 
It's no longer something you can look into, you can worship, you can use as a source, nothing. It's officially Avodah Zarah. It's officially idol worship. The fact that some sects of Christianity, there's probably, I don't know, a thousand sects. Some sects of Christianity said, no, no, he's not God, he's the Mashiach. No, he's not God, he's a prophet. No, he's not God, he's a rabbi. Everybody made a different thing. That's not what the book says. The book says he's God. He's not God. But the book says he's God. Which officially makes the book worth less than zero. Zero is if it was blank pages. As soon as you put that in there, it's worth less than zero. So, this is why you already know it's not divine, because that one simple sentence, that one simple fact in there, makes the whole book Avodah Now, what are the simple proofs that you can destroy Christianity in two seconds? Very simply, just simple facts you can prove in two minutes. Now, the fact that Christianity, and we're not going to continue talking about this, is just get to the point of what's Christianity you know, in five minutes to hopefully save a few souls from falling into it if they're already in it or they're thinking about it. Number one, reason why Christianity calls itself the New Testament, calls the uh, the um, their Bible the New Testament, is because they're connecting to the Old Testament. They're connecting to the Torah because everyone knows the Torah is divine. Everyone knows the Torah is from God. No one says it's not from God. Not the Arabs, not the uh, Buddhists, and not the uh, Christians and Catholics. No one says that the Torah is not from God. Everyone says it's from God. Except the atheists, but that's a different story. They have a different level of Gano. So now, as soon as you connect the two, that means that your book, you're saying it's a continuation. If it's a continuation, that means it cannot contradict it. The second book has to agree with the first book. Now, if you look at every single page of the New Testament, you'll see that there's mistakes, which anyone that's six or, you know, seven-year-old yeshiva student can see it's a mistake that it shouldn't be made. So, for example, in the Torah, in multiple places, no less than three places, it mentions that Yaakov Avinu, Yaakov, our forefather, came down to Egypt with 70 people. 70. Not 71. Not 69, not any other number. Mentioned 70. New Testament, several times mentions 75. Where do the five people come from? If you agree that the first document, the Torah, the Old Testament was written by God, that means there's no mistakes. What happened with the New Testament? Where did the extra one? He forgot? God forgot 2,000 years later? He forgot? He had another five people? One. Two. The Ma'arat HaMachpelah. The cave of Machpelah, where Avraham Avinu buried Sarah, where Adam Arishon is buried, where all the forefathers and the, uh, the the patriarchs and the matriarchs are all buried. New Testament has the wrong address for it. How do you prove it? Just go there. It's still around. To the wrong, they mention it's in the wrong city. Third, for anyone that says that the New Testament is saying that. Um, even though on one hand it says that Jesus was God in the book of Matthew and I think also the book of Luke they mention how Joseph the carpenter his uh, I guess stepfather was uh, connected to King David in two different books it mentioned a list of 25 different names the problem is number one 
both lists of 25 names are different from each other meaning in their own book they contradict each other in their own book they contradict each other and number two it doesn't make a difference even if Joseph the carpenter was actually connected to King David it's still not relevant because just moments ago in the beginning of the New Testament you said he came from God what difference does it make where Joseph was? he's not related to him and countless other mistakes like this now once you see that there's even one of these mistakes that I mentioned there's over uh, 800 that I know of that uh, the Rambam mentioned in his debate once you see these mistakes you automatically within a few moments if you have a brain and a neshama you realize this book is not from God so the question is what does the Torah say about Jesus and Initially we wrote about it in the Torah, but the Goim decided to kill us over it. And they started murdering thousands and tens of thousands of Jews because of what was written in the Gemara. But Baruch Hashem, the truth will always survive, and copies of the original Gemara are still around. <coughs> And the original documents are still around, so you can actually find out what it actually does say about J.C. Penny. So in the Gemara, Masechet Sota, page 47. Also in the Gemara, Masechet Sanedrin 107. It actually talks about that Mishnah that we just mentioned, where Yeshua ben Parachia, who said, make yourself a rabbi and buy yourself a friend. It says the background of that story. Why does he say that Mishnah? Okay, make yourself a rabbi. And the reason why is because it says the story of Yeshua ben Parachia is, is as following. Yeshua ben Parachia was one of the major sages that fled after the evil Romans were killing all of the sages. He fled. He went from Jerusalem to Alexandria in Egypt. A long story short, eventually he found out, he got some news that he's able to come back. This it's calmed down, he's able to come back so he and his students started to come back on their way back it says the follow, as following as he was traveling and he came to a certain inn went to like a motel, motel of some kind hotel, motel his host stood up for him in a display of great honor they gave him a lot of kavod this is one of the gave kavod, gave him honor and they continued to accord him much honor. They gave him a lot of honors. You see a tzaddik come into town. It's a, it's a school just to sit next to him. Let alone for him to be hosted by you. Normal. He sat there and was praising the hostess. How nice is this hostess? Meaning, how pleasing are her deeds? What a nice lady. How she's tzaddikah. She's values the Torah she's feeding my students she's feeding us how nice very simple innocent statement mistaking his teacher's intent Jesus the fool said to him Rabbi she's not so nice her eyes are round meaning he thought that his rabbi was saying how nice meaning how pretty she is so she's not nice look she has ugly eyes 
this, as anyone knows, even a little bit about Torah, even about good midot, good character traits, is an awful, awful trait. Number one, you're a kfuy Number two, what are you doing looking at women? And number three, why are you telling your rabbi about it? You idiot. So, Yeshua ben Parachia was a Kodesh Kodeshim, holy of holy rabbi, said to a student, Rasha, wicked one, these, these are the matters you occupy yourself with? We just ran away, Hashem gave us the chesed, the chesed by us and let us stay alive. So we continue learning and publicizing his Torah and all you can think about is whether she's pretty or ugly. On top of the fact that she's a married woman. And he kicked him out. Listen, you're not a student of mine. You're a womanizer. You're a shah. Even a 10-year-old boy. 10-year-old boy doesn't need to be a gdolado. Doesn't need to know anything. 10-year-old boy with some decent character traits would know this is a bad thing to do. Let alone a bad thing and tell your rabbi about it too. Try to get him involved. So he kicked him out. Now, Jesus realized that he made a mistake apparently and he tried to come back. But in order to know whether someone is truly repenting, you have to know if they're sincere. Now, obviously, if you got kicked out of school, of course you're going to want to get back. Not necessarily because you want to go to school, but because your parents are going to kill you if you don't go back to school. Yeah. If you got fired, you don't want to try to get your job back. Not really because you like your job, but because you need money. So it's not really sincere that you want to go back. Only if you really show that you're sincere through different efforts, through extra efforts. So initially when he came back to Yeshua ben Parachia, Yeshua ben Parachia tested him by saying no. Seeing if he continues to come back, I'll let him in, but I want to see. First time said no. Second time said no. On the third time he already told his other students, if he comes back the next time, I'm going to say yes. Because that showed three times already, I'm going to say yes. And Jesus comes, when does he come? In the middle of Shachrit. In the middle of prayer. He comes to the rabbi, 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 can you take me back? Now, Yeshua ben Pachi was in the middle of Shema Yisrael. And anyone who knows Alakha, even a little bit Alakha, not to be a Tana that's able to revive the dead. Simple Jew, six-year-old Jew, just learned Modeani. He knows you're not allowed to think, not even say, to think of a different thought other than Shema Yisrael when Shema Yisrael is happening. Even if there's a snake on your foot, a snake, you're not allowed to move. Continue Shema Yisrael. This fool, who just made the mistake of his life, comes to him and he expects the rabbi to make a sin deoraita, a biblical sin, and interrupt the prayer, interrupt his conversation with God, and say, no, no, yeah, come, come, welcome, welcome. So Yeshua ben Parachia went like this, meaning, hold on a second, you know, what's happening? You say this, body language. He can't say anything, but he doesn't want him to leave, but to say talking, he can't do anything. So he's always like this. Jesus had an ego the size of the equator. 
and did not like what he heard, he thought that he's kicking him out again. He thought that he's not accepting him again. And he left and he said, okay, you don't want to accept me, I'm definitely going to use everything you taught me to go against you and all the other rabbis. And he started using different types of... Some people say it's witchcraft, other people say it's sharing a falash, regardless of what it is, he started using different magic tricks to get people to start following him instead of God. Getting people to leave Judaism and follow him. And for that is the reason of why it's written in the Gemara, in this very same Gemara, the Yeshua ben Pahachia found out what he was doing and he said he wanted him to come back. He knew he went off the derech, but listen, we're obligated to love every Jew. Go try chase him. The Zohar Kadosh says, chase the Jew 70 years. If you get him to do tshuva, your life was worth it. So he went and he chased him. And the Gemara says the following. Yeshua Pahachia said to him, repent, do tshuva. But Jesus said, replied to him, I have received the tradition from you. One of the teachings that I heard was from you. Whoever sins and causes others to sin is not given the opportunity to repent. Meaning, I already made other people sin, I made other people become kofrim, I made other people leave Judaism. They're not going to accept my tshuva in Shemaim. And he continued going on his way and it says, the student, meaning Jesus, continued to practice sorcery and incited others and led them astray and caused Israel to sin. So he led other Jews off the derech and he did not listen to his rabbi. And in Gemara Masechet Gitin, there's a story of a seance that was made by Onkelos, the convert, the righteous convert, but before he converted, he did a seance. And the seance, he brought back three neshamot. He brought Titus, the wicked leader of the uh, Greeks. He brought uh, Bilam the Rasha. And he brought J.C. Penny. In a seance. Before he converted, he asked Titus, Titus in English, should I convert? Titus says, no, you're not going to be able to do it. The mitzvot are too much for you because, but who are the leaders in the real world where you are he goes the Jews the righteous Jews they're the leaders he goes okay so why shouldn't I convert he goes nah you're not going to be able to do it just torture the Jews and in the world that you're in and at least God will let you enjoy that world so he says to Titus what's happening to you he goes oh I'm in the seventh chamber of Gehenom and what are they doing to you? He said, because I desecrated the Bet HaMikdash, every day they burn me, turn me into ashes, and they spread me all over the world, and then they put, gather the ashes back again, and they do it all over again. Why? Because I said, before I died, I said that God can't beat me. God can't beat me on land. He can only beat me in the ocean. So God said to me, I'm not, I'm not going to beat you myself. I'm actually going to send my smallest servant. Who's the smallest servant? A little mosquito. My little mosquito is going to beat you. 
So he sent him a mosquito, went inside his ear, into his brain, started eating his brain. And for the next seven years, he heard in his ear nonstop. Eventually he told his people, take this thing out, whatever it is, get it out. He ended up dying from the surgery, and out of the surgery they took out a mosquito the size of a dove. After all the eating he did, the Sudash Tishit, Sudah Revit, Sudah Hamashit, all the Saudot for the last seven years, the little mosquito ate his brain. But he actually had one last testimony that he wanted the people to do. He said, listen, so God can't find me, spread my ashes, burn my ashes after I die, and spread them in the seven seas. So God can't find me. This idiot. Thank you. So God says, oh, you want to spread the ashes in the seventh? Fine. I'll gather them together every day, put you back together, burn you like you burned my Beth and then spread you all over again. That was Titus. You trying to get away from Hashem? Good luck with that one. You get extra punishment for the chutzpah, which we learned from this week's parashah, parashah b'chukotai. Imalachtei mi bekeri. Someone that goes and treats Hashem with casualness, like he's one of his friends from the bar. He said, you get punished twice. One, for the sin, obviously. But one, for going with me, Bekeri. For treating me with casualness. For treating me like I'm one of your friends. That's a double punishment. One you get for the sin. One for treating me one, like one of your friends. So Titus, Baruch Hashem, is still going through the same procedure as he was when the story was told nearly 2,000 years ago. Next one was Bilam Rasha. Bilam Rasha was given the same powers as Moshe Rabbeinu. Moshe Rabbeinu was born, Hashem instilled in him the ability, the inclination, the possibility to become the prophet of all prophets. Moshe Rabbeinu took advantage of these, of these qualities that Hashem gave him and became the prophet of all prophets. Bilam Rasha was also given the ability to become the prophet of prophets. Instead, he used his prophecy to make money. He uses prophecy to make sins. What happened? He's called Bilam Rasha, and the powers he had was given to the donkey. That's why the donkey was able to speak. And he is in Gainom. So Onkelos brought him in a seance. And he says, no. Should I convert? He goes, no, you're never going to make it. It's too hard. Too many mitzvot for you. You're, you're royalty. You're part of, you're supposed to be the uh, next Caesar. You're not going to be able to be a Jew. You already have a silver and a uh, gold spoon. You're going to go become a measly Jew that's being persecuted? No way, you're not going to make it. Because yeah, but who's the leaders up there in the real world where you are? So, oh, of course, it's the Jews, the righteous Jews. So what are they doing to you? He goes, oh, I'm also in the, I'm next to your uh, uncle, Titus. I'm in the next pool over. He gets burned every day with lava and spread all over the world. Me, I'm being boiled in a pool of semen. Why pool of semen? Because I used to have, my wife was the donkey. So I used to not only waste seed, but I used to waste seed with bestiality, with the donkey. So now I'm being boiled in semen. Next one was Jesus. They ask him, No, should I convert? Jesus says, Yes, you should convert. You should convert. You should be a Jew. That's the Amonifcha. What happened to you? What are they doing to you? He goes, Me. I'm also next to your cousin and Bilam Rasha. Next to them in the next pool over. What, what are they doing to you? I'm in Tzohar I'm in burning feces. 
Why? Why? If you're telling me, obviously, if you tell me to convert, you know the truth. So why are you there? Because I went against the rabbis. I went against the rabbis. When my rabbi came to me after I made enough mistake, my rabbi actually came to me and said, Do tshuva. I said to him, No tshuva. There's no tshuva for me. And I continued on my way. In reality, I knew there's always tshuva. By the way, I was already used to I was getting kavod. I was getting respect. I was this. I became a leader. I became to these ignorance. I became gdol adol. Who were the original students? Illiterate people, poor people, homeless people. No one uh, righteous or uh, giant in Torah became a student. Only the fools and ignorance. But in front of the fools and ignorance, he was a giant. He was used to the kavod, he was used to the honor. He wanted to stay with it. And I went against the rabbis. And about him, the Mishnah, Yeshua ben Pachiah wrote in Perkei the sixth Mishnah was written, saying, What does it mean, make yourself a rabbi? If you're going to make yourself a rabbi, he says something, you do. You don't ask. You don't ask why, I don't understand, maybe this, maybe that. If you make him a rabbi, it's the same thing as God himself telling you. If you're not going to listen, he's not your rabbi. No one says you're not allowed to ask questions. You're allowed to ask questions. But if he says, you have to pray at this time, you have to learn at this time, you have to do this, you have to do that, you don't want to listen, he's not your rabbi. And Shobin Pachel said, he, I used to be his rabbi. But then he decided to go off the derech. Then he decided not to listen to me anymore. Even after he made a mistake, I came back to him. And I told him, no, you have a chance to do tshuva. Gmar says you need to do tshuva. Because of that, he's still being boiled in a barrel. A barrel full or a pool full of feces. And it mentions the different death penalty he had in the, uh, in the, uh, I mentioned several different parts of the story, like I told you, unless you know where it is from studying, in most Gmarot, including the English version, it doesn't actually say his name. Why? And the reason why is because unfortunately we are in a world that's dominated by Goim and we're afraid of anti-Semitism. I'm afraid of God. Anti-Semitism is going to happen regardless. I'm not saying anything against anyone that wrote the book, so I'm not saying I'm greater than anybody else. I just think the truth has to come out at some point. Number one, because there are many, many Jews that are falling for the stupidity of Christianity, Catholicism, and everything in between as a result of the missionary work that's being done around the world and to such an extent that it's more dangerous than ever before at the time of the Romans or the Greeks they did us a favor they killed us because at least if you kill somebody you're just killing their body their neshama still goes to Ganeden but if you get somebody to bow to idol worship you're killing their soul so when these so-called messianic Jews who are really Christians in disguise tell people, no, no, come come worship Yoshke. Come to our synagogue, our messianic synagogue. It's really a church. Or come worship uh, you know, our New Testament. It's better. It's a new and improved and updated and upgraded 3.0 version of the Torah. Come, come, come. It's better. You don't have to do anything. You just have to give tzedakah. When you do that, and many people fall for it, and unfortunately leave God. What do they leave God for? They leave the well, an ocean full of pure water, the source of all water, for what? A broken cistern, 
a broken hole in the middle of the desert and maybe he's going to have a drop. Instead of going to the source of all, everything, of all goodness, Hashem Ibrach, they go to something broken. They go from the Creator to the Creator's creation's creation. Meaning the lowest form of creation. The Creator, obviously, didn't. no one created the Creator. No one created Hashem. The Creator has creations. He has man. That's the creation. The creation, man, has its own creations. They invented things. They came up with different things, whether it's the uh, iPhone and iPad and i this and i that, all those things. But they also invented different thoughts. One of them was Christianity. Meaning that's the Creator's creation, creation. It's the lowest form of creation. And this is the reason why Hashem gets so offended with idol worship. He says, not only did you leave me, that's one sin for leaving me. But you went to the worst possible thing you can go to. Go to nothing, you'd be better off. But to go to my creation's creation, there's no bigger chutzpah than that. So for the Jews that are thinking, is Christianity real? Is Christianity not real? This last 20 minutes easily proves it's not. You want more information? Go to Outreach Judaism, a website by Rabbi Tobias Singer. You want more proof? Watch the debate by... Rabbi Yosef Mizrahi. You don't need to go too far. It's very, very simple. You type in these names, you get countless information. It's enough of this garbage that's infesting the Jewish nation and people are falling off the derech. That's one. Second reason we're doing this is for the poor Christians that don't know any other way. The ones that were born that way and they really do want to serve God. Just like the Kuzarian king. He really wanted to serve God. She didn't know there was another option available. The pastor that's writing a $50 million jet told him God is Jesus. He says, listen, he got a $50 million jet. He must be doing something right. He doesn't realize Satan gave him a $50 million jet. He doesn't realize that. He doesn't realize that. He's thinking, hey, he must be doing something right. He's got a three new three-piece suit every other day. Must be doing something right. No, my friend, the Satan has a lot of money. And he's willing to give it to you for every single thing he'll do against God. That's his job. That's his job in the world. He started as a serpent, as a snake, and he's Satan himself. He's running the world. He's, his job is to get you away from God. So if he has to give you a $50 million jet to do it, I'll give it to you. Depends how much you're worth. And this is the reason why the Real wicked missionaries, real wicked Christians that are full-time employees of the Satan, their target is the Jews. Why? It's the most valuable customer for the Satan. To get a Jew away from God is much, much higher than to get a Gentile away from God. The Gentile in general, he's only obligated to do seven mitzvot, seven uh, laws of Noah, and anything that's common sense. If he wants to do more, he wants to become a Jew. Welcome. Help him convert. Teach him. Do whatever you can to support him. So this is my message to all of them. All of those people that are looking for Hashem, in the book of Deuteronomy chapter 4, Hashem says to Am Yisrael and also to all people that read it, if you look for me, you'll find me. But only if you look for me with all of your heart and all of your soul. You're looking for God, you're not going to find Him at the church, my friend. You're going to find idol worship there. 
You're looking for God? You're not going to find Him anywhere else other than the Torah. Anything that contradicts the Torah, idol worship. So, this is, once and for all, has to be said, because right now we're under attack. There are different organizations within Christianity that are spending hundreds of millions of dollars to recruit simple Jews. Just that organization that I showed you the tape from yesterday, they said they're spending, just for the summer, they're going to send out 2 million DVD packages. You know how much each DVD package costs? We're not talking about pennies here. We're talking about millions of dollars. For what? Specifically to target the Jews in America. They're not targeting the Muslims. They're not targeting the Buddhists. They're not targeting the people that are atheists. Specifically on the packet says, this is a special message to the Jews. Do you understand the danger here? There's 6 million Jews in America and they want to send 2 million. That means they know that out of 2 million we're going to reach at least 33% of all the Jews in America just this summer. We're not saying the entire year, just this summer. Do you understand the danger that we're in right now? So if we don't speak up, who will? A place that no one's willing to be a leader, you try to be a leader. So, this at least spreads the word for anyone that's actually looking for the truth. They're paying a lot of people to convert. They're paying people to convert. They're doing everything and anything they can possibly do to get people to convert. Unfortunately, they take advantage of poor people. They pay their bills. They take care of their debt. They'll get them lawyers. They'll get them doctors. They'll do whatever they can because every Jew, the simplest Jew in the world, is the biggest prize for them. It's like winning the lotto. This is why you see all these, I found, you know, Jews for, for Jesus organizations and all of these different forms of Abu Dazara. Who does their commercials? Every single time. Even just simple messianic uh, uh, synagogues, organizations that have 500 members. On the average, out of the 500 member Keilah, let's say, that they have congregation, they have, there's maybe five Jews. At best, 20. The rest of them are going. Even though they call themselves Messianic Jews, there's nobody really Jewish. But who does the commercial on the website? The five Jews. Why? That's the price possession. That's the golden calf. That's their everything. Look, look, we got the Jew. Why? Because if the Jew says that Jesus was right, the Jew knows he was a Mount Sinai. Do you understand? Do you understand what's happening here? This is why we're in danger. This is why we're in danger. So now, we continue, and Bezat Hashem, spread some light to Am Yisrael and anyone else that wants to join us. One of the things that the Goyim need to understand is in the Gemara Masechet Abu Dazara, there's a big rebuke against the Goyim. Very big rebuke. After the end of times, Mashiach comes, the Goyim are going to come to Hashem and say, Listen, okay, now we know for sure the Torah is real, great. Okay, but it's... Of course we didn't follow the Torah. You gave them Moses. We didn't have Moses. Hashem says, I give you Bilam. Bilam had the same powers as Moshe Rabbeinu. As a matter of fact, he had one power that Moshe Rabbeinu didn't have. He knew the moment of the day, the rega, that I 
am angry. Not that Hashem gets angry, but the moment that Hashem passes judgment. How long is the moment? Some say it's a quarter of a second. Some say it's one fifteen thousand of a second. Needless to say, it's one moment during the day where Hashem delivers all of the judgment on earth and the universe. And Bilam knew that moment. Why is that moment so valuable? Because at that moment he was able to ask Hashem to deliver that judgment against Am Yisrael, his firstborn son. So that's when Bilam tried to curse Am Yisrael. He tried to curse him at that moment. And Hashem says, listen, I choose the Hegel. I choose if I'm angry or not. It's not that I have to be angry. So to show you that you're like a measly little creation, and I'm the creator, not only will I not be angry at that moment to curse my, my children, but I'll actually turn that moment into a blessing. And he ended up blessing on Israel at that moment. And that's why in the uh, ten remembrances that you say every day at the end of Shachrit, one of the things that you have to thank Hashem for is that he actually that moment that was Hashem Hashem was a potential opportunity for Hashem to destroy the world by allowing Bilam to curse us, he did not allow it to happen. So now, the Goyim are going to say, you had Bilam, we had Bilam, yeah, but he went off the deck, he became a crazy, he goes, hey, that's his problem, not my problem. We had this, you had that. He said, okay, listen, but we built all these bridges. So your Jews can go to the Bet Knesset, they can go to do this, to do their chesed. He goes, no, 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 no. You built them only for you. You built them so you can collect tolls. You built the buildings so you can collect rent. You did this, all of these things you did, you did for you. You didn't do for my nation. You can't fool me. He said, said, okay, fine, fine, guy, we can't fool you. Give us one mitzvah, give us one opportunity. One opportunity. He goes, okay, I'm going to give you the easiest mitzvah. What mitzvah? I'm going to give you Sukkot. You're going to be able to celebrate Sukkot. If you fulfill that mitzvah, a week long mitzvah, like you're supposed to, you're good. You're saved. What do we have to do? You build yourself a little tent. You go in a tent, you sleep in a tent for a week. You have a trog, you have a love, you have a few different things. You eat, you drink, you hang out with the family, you pray a little bit, so you finish. It's simple mitzvah. It's fun. Anyone knows the value of this mitzvah, it's the greatest thing in the world. As a matter of fact, the whole concept of Sukkot during biblical times, during uh, the Bet HaMikdash, the entire time of Sukkot, that whole week, Am Yisrael would have 70 korbanot brought to the Bet HaMikdash every day. Why? One representing every one of the nations. Why? So Hashem protects every one of the nations. If the Goim actually knew... How the Jews are protecting them from evil decrees, from, from the Satan, from, from Shemaim, who wants to go against them. They're giving korbanot, they're bringing sacrifices to Hashem. No, Hashem protect them, give them panasah, they're okay, they'll do tshuva, maybe they'll convert. Look, we're bringing korbanot. We're helping them out. What would they go even actually do? Instead of destroying the Beit HaMikdash, the Romans and the Greeks and anyone in between, what would they do? They put their entire army to surround the Beit HaMikdash to protect it. That's the reason why I get Palazah. But these fools didn't know this, so they destroyed it. So at the end of times, the Gemara in Abu Dazarah says that the Goim are going to be given the opportunity to do Sukkot. As soon as the first day, first few hours of Sukkot comes, it's a hot day. When does Sukkot happen during a year? During a hot, 
Hatam of the year. The Goyim start complaining about Sukkot. They start suffering. Hashem says, listen, according to the Torah, if you're suffering in a Sukkot, patu, you're released from it. You're not supposed to suffer with mitzvot. So patu, you're not uh, obligated to do it anymore. They all started celebrating. This is obviously a parable, because the end of times didn't happen yet. They all start happening. They all start celebrating. He says, oh, this is why you can't get Mashiach, you can't get the reward of Amisled. He goes, what do you mean? You said we're patu. You said we're not obligated to do it anymore. Yes, we're not supposed to celebrate. Just because the Torah says something is allowed doesn't mean you're supposed to do it. When my Jewish people go to the sukkah and it's hot and they're suffering, or it's raining and they're suffering, or something's happening and they're suffering, I tell them they're not allowed. What do they say? Oh, wait, wait. Maybe maybe the rain's going to stop. Oh, maybe we're going to get something else to cool it down. They don't want to leave the sukkah. The righteous, the righteous Jews, they don't want to leave the sukkah. They're not looking for an excuse to get out of the sukkah or any other mitzvah because they know the value of it. You're looking for a way out. That's why you can't get in. So that's one. The second thing is, the second kitub, the second prosecutor against the goyim is going to be against the ones that actually know the truth. The ones that actually know that the Torah is real and have a legitimate opportunity to convert. I'm not talking about someone that doesn't have an opportunity to convert because their spouse, although they believe in the Torah and they accept it, they're not ready to convert. I'm not talking about those people. I'm talking about people that are single or perhaps married and they both believe in the Torah. They tell them, so you're going to convert? Like, nah, not yet. Maybe next year. Why not? Ah, I'm just not ready yet. What do you mean you're not ready? God's real? Yes. He's going to be real next year? Yes. You like the mitzvot? Yes. You're going to do the mitzvot? Yes. So why are you waiting? No, I don't know. I just need to make a little bit of money working on Shabbat for the next year. And then, then I'll convert. How do you know you're going to be alive next year? Who told you you're going to be alive? It's a good one. <laughs> so you're prepared to risk your entire Allah Abba for money for the next 52 weeks? Oh, I'm not ready to change my clothes. Why, you want to continue wearing mini skirts and tank tops? No, you know, I just, uh, it's hot. Oh, after the summer? Also, God's not around the summer? He's on break? He goes on vacation during the summer? So all the people are making excuses. I'm not talking about people that legitimately have a big test in front of them. The spouse believes but is not ready. Spiritually not ready. He's not ready to take on the full mitzvot. That's fine. Or there's a some type of major financial barrier. They live in the middle of the world somewhere and there's no bedin to, to, to even speak of anywhere near them. They have to move to a completely different country or a completely different state and they have six bucks in the bank. Obviously, Hashem, when he's ready for them to convert and they have the merit to convert, they'll give them more money to convert. But right now, they can't convert. I'm not talking about those people. I'm talking about people that actually have a legitimate opportunity to convert and choose not to. Why? Their own preferences, their own Yetzirah. And the Gemara says, eventually those people, they're going to convert. He's talking about the ones that end up converting at the end. I'm not talking about anyone that didn't convert. It's a different story. The ones someone that ends up converting. 
They go up to Shemayim, Hashem says, Why took you so long? You go against them. Instead of saying, Welcome, my son, welcome, my daughter, Baruch Hashem, you converted, good job, you left Christianity, you came to the Torah, Baruch Hashem, great, good job. No, no, he said, What took you so long? You already knew at 16 years old that was real. Why did you spend the next 10 years doing nothing? You already knew at 31 I was real. Why'd you do nothing about it? What, you wanted to watch a few more sugar to love for more proofs? You already knew. After the first year, you knew. What took you so long? Why did you spend an extra minute not fulfilling my mitzvot when you knew that every mitzvah is priceless? Instead, you went and chased money, you chased girls, you chased this, you chased that. How'd you do that? And suddenly I'm real now. It's a kitrug, it's a prosecution against them. So for anyone that has an opportunity, tomorrow also talks about you. Don't waste time. Be serious. Chase. Chase the rabbi. Annoy him. Call him. Send emails. Do what you gotta do. Make changes. But again, it's not that the uh, people don't want you to convert. It's just that when Hashem is ready, Hashem is ready. But you are responsible for the effort. You're responsible for the effort. The actual outcome is Hashem. You're responsible for trying. So what does trying to convert mean? Trying to convert means you don't stop learning. You learn everything you could possibly get a hold hold of. You learn the entire chumash. You learn the different uh, minagim. You learn all of the rules of the holidays. You learn all the rules of Shabbat. You learn the prayers, things you have to do in the morning, in the afternoon, at night, before you eat, after you eat. You learn everything you need to do as a Jew. You start doing it. You start going through an informal conversion. You start connecting to Bateddin. Where could I go? Which Bateddin can help me? Which community? You have to move. You can't be a Jew in the middle of Montana when your next door neighbor is 37 miles away. You can't be a Jew by yourself. You have to be part of a community. So yes, it's expensive, it's this, it's that. Hey, such is life. The Jews suffered for a few thousand years to be chosen. You're just going to get in? So all those people that become bitter, angry converts, we don't want you. Neither does the Torah. The Torah wants righteous people. Righteous people know they have to go through tests. They go through tests, obstacles, and to be chosen by itself is a, is a huge, huge benefit. And the righteous converts that I've met in my life, greatest people on earth. The ones that are wicked, Shem and Achem, they're worse than the Erev Lab. I think the Erev Lab are already looking at them and like, God, these guys are really bad. I'm telling you, sometimes you see someone has the biggest opportunity in the world and they ruin it. So, this same area, this same Gemara, is telling you that you have an opportunity. You have a huge, huge opportunity and not taking it is not smart. God doesn't want you to get divorced if your husband or wife supports you. They're just not ready to be Jewish. As long as your spouse is not an idol worshiper or an atheist, God doesn't want you to get divorced. Perhaps He wants you to get them closer. But if your spouse is an idol worshiper or an atheist, he's against God, obviously, you have to make a decision. Not even because of Judaism, because how could you live with somebody that has the exact opposite belief as you? You can't be a God believer and your spouse is a uh, is an atheist and expect a relationship to work out. What's working out? You have completely two different ideologies. 
How could it work out? What do you have in common? He thinks he's going to turn into uh, dust and everyone came from apes. You know that there's a real world after this. It's only a beginning. What do you have in common? So, again, if that's the case, this isn't easy. But if the situation is different, where your spouse supports you, but they're not ready. It's a different story. You have to support them. You have to help them. You have to do... What we try to do in Baruch Hashem, Hashem gave us the merit to succeed in. Get your spouse closer. Get your spouse closer. Teach him. Show him. Cry. Cry to Hashem to open their eyes. Don't stop crying. One of my students is going through a similar experience and I told him, listen, one of the things that didn't say in my personal story is that I knew that my wife loved God. And the only reason she didn't convert right away was because she feared Him. Not because she didn't fear Him. Listen, I'm going to continue praying every day. And every single day I would pray. And every single day I would cry. And I told God, I'm going to continue praying until I die. And Baruch Hashem, Hashem didn't let me die. And instead, turned into the most righteous person I've ever met. So, again, there has to be a level of messy with nefesh. Don't think it's an easy free ride. Like you're entitled to be Jewish. Like this awful, wicked generation that we have right now where everybody feels entitled because they have a few dollars, uh, they know a few applicate to use a few applications on an iPhone, everybody's entitled. There's no entitlements. It's a privilege. Earn it. Pass the test. Hashem will bless you. But if you want people to just start kissing up to you because you did something, why? So... To know that once you get in, it doesn't matter whether people accept you, don't accept you. Go to a place where people accept you, obviously. But if people that are already Jewish are ignorant and they don't accept you, move. Until you move, act like they don't don't exist. Why? Because they're idiots. Because anyone that knows anything about converts knows that a convert is considered higher than a natural born Jew. A righteous convert, not a wicked convert. So, for all of those people, the opportunity is there. Now, moving on with this specific um, Mishnah. This is Gimel Chet, 3.8. I already made a blessing before. Rabbi Lazar, Ish Bartota, Omer. Ten no mishelo, shata b'shelcha shelo. Vechen b'david, u Omer, ki mimcha akol umiyadecha natanu lach. Rabbi Lazar of Bartota says, Give him from his own, for you and your possessions are his. And so has David said, meaning King David, for everything is from you, and from your own hand we have given you. This is written in Chronicles A, 29-14. So how are we going to connect everything we just said for however long it's been, approximately an hour, I think? How are we going to connect it to this Mishnah? Be'ezrat Hashem, Na'asev and so first and foremost, we have to understand who we're dealing with here. Rabbi Lazar ben Bartota was one of the Tanaim that was 
written about in several places. He had a unique midah. In the Gemara Masechet page 24a, it says there's Elazar Ish Birta. Elazar Ish Birta. Chazal says in a few places is the same as Elazar of Bartota. Just a different name for the town. Some say this, it's a name of a town in Bavir in Iraq. Some say it's something else. But the point being is that they're saying it's the same thing. Now, Elazar Ish Bartota was a unique person. What was so unique? Other than him being Kodesh Kodeshim, other than him being a giant sage, all those wonderful things that are given if he's already written in the Mishnah. Lazar had a midah that was unique to him. He had a character trait that was unique to him. He could not see anyone in need without helping to the fullest possible extent. Meaning, as soon as he saw someone collecting tzedakah, he'd immediately make a nedil. He'd make a swear, a vow to Hashem Yitbarach that he's going to give them right now everything he has. Not like us where we look, oh, it's a hundred dollars, that's a little too much, we think about twenty, yeah, no, you know what, you'll, you'll be fine, five bucks, somebody else is going to give the other ninety-five. We always rely on someone else, you ever, you ever notice that? Everyone always relies on someone else to give, no one ever wants to take the responsibility of giving themselves. Elazar Batota said, no, 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 he saw someone in need, here, this is everything I have, I have ten thousand dollars in my bank, here you go. Without thinking twice, to such an extent that the people that were collecting tzedakah started hiding from him, from Bushah. They started being embarrassed. Like, listen, he's a sage, he's a giant chacham, he's a tzaddik. We don't want him to go homeless because of us. Listen, yeah, we're collecting tzedakah from the people to help other people, of course. But it doesn't mean to come only from one person. Especially if that person is going to go homeless because of us. So they started hiding from him. So one day, you know, people were hiding from him, not to, for his own benefit. At least that's what they thought. So for a while, he was able to collect money. And one of his daughters was supposed to get married. So said, okay, so I'm going to go buy you all the things. The father's supposed to buy all the things for the couple. That's the Jewish tradition. The father of the bride is supposed to uh, buy um, the things for the couple more than the uh, father of the uh, son. Sometimes all of it, sometimes most of it. Point being is that he was going to buy the Nadunya. He's going to buy the all the things for the Kala, for his uh, daughter, for a husband, for their new home, and so on. So he had to collect you know, nice savings. And on his way, he saw a couple of people that he knows that they collect Staka. He saw them, but they started running away from him. What did he do? Start chasing them. We see somebody else looking for tzedakah. What do we do? We run away from them. Or if they if they run away from us, what do we do? It's like oh, mazal. Right, that's what Hashem wanted. We blame Hashem for it. No, if Hashem wanted me to give tzedakah, they wouldn't run away. If Hashem didn't want me to give, you know, wanted me to give tzedakah, they would see me. If Hashem wanted me to give tzedakah, they would come to my office. Why do I have to call them? If Hashem really wanted me to give tzedakah. They'd send me an email. But you know they need, right? Yeah. But they didn't call me yet. Or they didn't text me. Or they didn't this. Or he didn't ask me. That's the best thing. 
He goes, no, you didn't ask me though. Yeah, but you've been going to his class for three years. What do you mean he didn't ask you? Yeah, but he didn't ask you. Yeah, but you went to the Beknesset, that same Beknesset, five years already. Yeah, but the rabbi never asked me. Yeah, but you know that the kids were walking around with ripped clothes. His kids don't have any clothes. They were walk clothes. Yeah, but he didn't ask me. Maybe they like ripped clothes. Maybe it's the style for the religious people. You know, people are going to make every excuse in the world not to give. But if the car salesman says, listen, the car is uh, $2.99 a month. Wait, wait. For $2.99 a month. Does it come with a navigation system? No, no. That's $50 more a month. Oh, okay. So why didn't you ask me? You asked the salesman to sell you more. Salesman to sell you more. You ask him to sell you more. But the guy needs the car. The guy's trying to feed people. The guy's learning Torah. The guy's teaching Torah. All those things. No, he didn't ask me. He didn't ask me. I, I thought he was okay. Well, he seemed okay. He was alive. He was breathing. What's what? You waiting for him to die? Then you gonna give him? He doesn't need it after he dies. Yeah, but he was learning to all the time. He was on the flesh. I thought he was uh, doing okay. Why don't you ask him? Why don't you ask him? Hey, listen. I know Avrech only makes 500 bucks a month. Now this Avrech has five kids. Five kids in nowhere in the world. Not just in America. Nowhere in the world is cheap. Nowhere in the world. To be single is expensive. To have five kids is even more expensive. Logic. You don't have to be a genius. You have to be doll. You have to be rocket scientist. By yourself, expensive to live anywhere in the world. Five kids. Wife, even more expensive. More people, more food. Bigger house, more things you need. So if he's making $500 a month, it's not even enough to pay for one person's bills. What makes you think it's enough to pay for seven people? Oh, but he didn't ask me. Why don't you ask him? Why don't you just give? Why? Because you like money too much. And people that like something, they want to keep it to themselves. They don't want to give what they like. They want to keep it to themselves. If I like money, I want to keep it to myself. So, first and foremost, Rabbi Lazar Bartote is telling you, whatever I had, it's not even mine. And as soon as he saw those people, he chased them. And he eventually caught them. And he says, I make, I'm putting a vow right now on you to tell me what you need. And two people embarrassed saying, listen, we're collecting money for a, uh, a couple that are both orphans. He says, I'm making a neder right now that I'm going to give you everything I have. He gives him everything he was supposed to give his own daughter. He gave it to them on the spot. Don't try this at home. Don't try this at home. Depends on your So now he goes home. And on the way home, he realizes he has one shekel left. One shekel in his pocket. You know, his little homeless shekel is in the middle over there. It's one dollar. Yeah, what can I do with a dollar? Okay, so I'm going to, you know what, let me buy a little chita. Let me buy a little wheat. So I could, you know, eat for two days. So he goes to the market, buys a little pouch with wheat. And he had a basement. He says, listen, I'll put it in my basement. When I need them, I'm going to get it. So he put it in his basement. So uh, his daughter comes to her father and goes, Abba, what did, you, what did you get? He goes, everything I got is in the basement. 
she goes to the basement she tries to open the door and she can't open the door why she can't open the door it's not locked why she can't open the door because the basement was filled with so much wheat that it even went into the knob into the holes into everything the entire place was packed eventually she opens the door all of it falls everywhere it's packed massive amount of wheat everywhere she knows her father didn't buy all this wheat so she goes back to Abba look what your lover did for you who's your lover? look what Hashem did for you she says oh I'm making a nether that all of it will go to poor people but since you're one of those poor people, my daughter, you don't have anything, I'm going to give you some too, just like everybody else. Each one, each poor person is going to get a share. And you, you don't have anything. You can get your own share also, just like everybody else. Why did he do all of this? Because of this Mishnah. Abir Azal is telling us something important. He says, give him, him, who's him? Give Hashem Barach from His own. For you and your possessions are His. He's teaching us something critical. Give Him what's His. Because you are His and everything you have is His. The money you have in the bank is not your money. The talent you have in your hands, you're able to build, you're able to do all different things, is not your talent. The wisdom in your head is not your wisdom. The things you have are not yours. So when Hashem is telling you, listen, I'm going to give you a hundred, not for you to have a hundred, for you to have ninety. The ten, you distribute to everyone else. That's it. Instead of me saying, listen, I'm going to give you a hundred, give ninety to them, you keep ten. He said, I'm going to give you a hundred, you take ninety. Give ten to my other children. Why? Because I had to make the world in a certain way. And I had to make some people rich, some people poor. Not because I'm not fair, chas v'shalom. Not because I don't like the poor people. As a matter of fact, most of the most religious people in history, including today, are poor people. Most of the biggest charities in the world, who are they funded by? Poor people. The people that are closest to Hashem Ibahu are poor people. So Adraba, even to the contrary, of course Hashem loves the poor people. But He made them poor for a reason. Different reasons. There's no one size fits all explanation. But He says, You I made rich. So you give to the poor. Not because I want you to be rich. But because I want you to be a partner with me in creation. So one time, there was a newly rich person. In the past, he wasn't so rich. Grew up low middle class. But was very friendly with everyone. Eventually made a few bucks. And the rabbi that saw him growing up said, listen, he's used to come to my shul before he moved to the Upper East Side. He used to come to my class before he was a big time guy on Wall Street, on this, on that. 
So go ask him for a little bit of tzedakah. He's got a few dollars. Go ask him for a little tzedakah for davrechim. Go ask him for a little tzedakah so we can bring Amishlai back to Hashem. Go ask him for tzedakah. The people came to him. No way. I work hard for my money. You guys want money? You go work. Just the attitude of many rich people. And by rich, I don't necessarily mean multimillionaires, by the way. It's a different class. Rich, I mean anyone that makes above what he needs. Now, I spent a little time on Wall Street, so I know a little bit about finances. The average income right now in America is a little over $51,000. This puts America at the upper echelon of the world. Now, if you make more than $75,000 in America, $75,000, you're making more than 85% of the population in America. More than 85% of the population in America, just by $75,000. As a married couple with kids, Baruch Hashem, many people are making $75,000 or more in the Jewish community. But if you ask them, are you rich? No, barely middle class. What do you mean barely middle class? Listen, my neighbor, he's got three cars, he just got a new band, he's got he's adding another floor to his house. I only have a two-story house. I only have two little cars. My lease is already two years old. Like they consider a two-year-old car is already old. It's not two-year-old, two uh, two-year new. It's two-year-old. He's already looking for the next car. Next car, next wife, next house, next everything. Everything is after a year, it's already old. Tell people, listen. They tell people, listen. Maybe you should uh, give a little more. What do you mean I'm barely surviving? I'm only making $75,000 a year. Between me and my wife working, we're making $75,000, dollars a year. We're barely surviving. What do you mean you're barely surviving? You're making more than 85% of the population. As a matter of fact, if you make $300,000, which is considered a high income by any standard, you're actually making more than 99.9% of the world. The entire world. 7.5 billion people. At 300,000. So you don't need to be a millionaire to be the top 1%. You need to make $300,000 a year, you're already top more than 1%. But at 75000 which is much more attainable for most people, any decent job you spend 5, 10, 15 years, and you're going to make that kind of money, if it's a professional job. Listen, you're already top 85%. Now, if you just found out, hey, listen, I'm rich. Feel better about yourself. It's not going to be don't give. Because you didn't think of yourself as rich yet. You thought, listen, I'm only making 75000 because you're comparing yourself to Donald Trump. Because you're comparing yourself to the Bukharian millionaire down the street that has a seven-story house. Or the Syrian community that the average guy has $900,000 house and he just started his life. You're comparing yourself to people that are really multimillionaires. You don't need to be. So that's number one. 
Number two, Chazal tells who is rich, someone who's happy with what he has. If you're happy with your share, you're already rich. Rabbi Rezal ben Partota wasn't rich. But whatever he had, he was not only happy with it, he was excited to give it. He was excited to share it. Drink. But this guy that was newly rich in the story, you guys probably already forgot the story. The guy that was newly rich when the rabbi sent the few students to go collect money for the kolel, for the yeshiva, for the beknesset, <coughs> said, no, 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 I work hard for my money. I work for my hard money. You want money, you go work. The rabbi took it offensively. He says, wow, how far he's come. Not how far he got in life. How far he is from the Torah. How far he is from where he used to be. He used to be one of my students. Now he thinks he's a big shot. So the rabbi himself came to him. He came to his house. Oh, for the love. I didn't know you were going to come. You should have told me. Made an appointment maybe. Come, come in, come in. But no, it's two minutes I'm going to be in your house. And the rabbi sees that next to his window on his 40th floor apartment, he also has a mirror. And outside the window, there's a bunch of people. Some people are poor, some people are rich. And he tells them, what's the difference between this class and that class? Because what I mean, they're both class. But how come you can't see yourself in one and you can see in the other? It was all because they put a sheet. Because exactly. The sheet is made of kesef. Kesef is a Hebrew word for silver. But it's also for money. It says the difference between the glass of the window where you're able to see the world around you or just yourself is money. Before you had money, you'd look out to the window and you see everybody. You try to take care of who's next to you. Now you have money. Money is between you and everybody else. All you see is yourself. You're a selfish person. Don't be selfish. Just because you have money. Opposite. Just be more generous. Give us some reason to give you. Avnissim again, Zechat Tzadik V'Kadosh Livracha, said a story or an analogy he said one time there was a poor guy didn't really have much going for him one day a really rich person comes up to him and goes you know what I'm going to give you a shot yeah but I didn't even ask you for a shot I'm going to give it to you anyway what do you want to do you want to start something you want to start a business you want to start this you want to start that I'm going to give you a million dollars a million dollars just the interest of a million dollars is a hundred thousand the guy doesn't have 10 bucks in his pocket. The interest on a million dollars is 100,000. It's already more than 85%. He said, I'm going to give you 100,000. He goes, yeah, I'm going to pay you back. I don't have a business. He goes, no, 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 listen, relax. I'm going to give you a million dollars. All you have to pay me back is $10 a month. Just $10 a month. You live 30,000 years, you're still not going to pay back yet. $10 a month I'm happy with it if you give me $10 a month I'm happy okay you're going to say no somebody gives you a million dollars for 10 bucks a month 
Anybody here is going to say no for $10 million, $10 a month? Take it, right? Even a hundred. I'll even give him a hundred. Machmir. <laughs> generous guy. He takes it. Month comes by. The lender deposits the $10 check because he gave it to him in advance. He doesn't have to spend 50 cents on a stamp. He gave him the, 10, the 12 checks in advance. Deposits the $10 check in his bank. Bounces. Returned. Unpaid. There's no... Second month, bounces again. Third month, bounces again. Now let me ask you a question. Is this not a rasha? He just gave him a million dollars and he told him, all I want from you is ten dollars a month. And even the ten dollars a month, he's not paying him back. Is that not a rasha? Is that not a wicked person? Is that not an evil person? Is that not a person that should be judged heavily? Unfortunately, that's us. Hashem came to us. We had nothing to offer Hashem. Nothing. He says, I'm going to give you a shot. I'm going to give you eyes that people are willing to pay millions for it. I'm going to give you face, teeth, just anyone that ever had problems in IT, just to have one root canal is $3,000. One root canal, one tooth, root canal $3,000 in a decent, decent dentist that's not a sandlau, that's not a shoemaker. One decent tooth, $3,000. You want to change your entire mouth? Minimum fifty, sixty thousand dollars Hashem gave you 32 teeth. 32, 36, 32. Not that it's still working. Give you teeth for free. Give you eyes for free. Give you hands, ears, legs, everything free. Steve Jobs was worth at the time he died no less than seven billion dollars some say double that seven billion dollars would he die a liver liver didn't work liver that failed liver failed the first time he got a new one second time he couldn't find one he died because one not the whole body failed one body part failed if it was the whole body, oh, you have a problem. One body part, small little body part, weighs a couple of pounds, failed, died. He couldn't, all seven billion dollars, couldn't buy a new liver. You have it for free. Hashem says, I'm going to give you a chance. For what? For nothing. All I want you to do, give me ten dollars a month. Ten dollars a month. Go in the morning, go pray a little bit. In the afternoon, pray a little bit more. Before you eat, say thank you, Hashem, for giving me the food. You didn't have to give me food. You don't owe me anything. You give me eyes, I use it to what? To look, look at girls. That's not a mitzvah. I give you eyes to go learn Torah. Whenever... You do anything, you say thank you to Hashem. The extra time that He gave you, don't go watch TV. Talk about Hashem. 
Don't watch the Abu Dazara they have on TV. He says you have you have to work, you have to make money, you have to go to work, you gotta go to Wall Street, you gotta go sell buildings, you gotta go sell houses, you gotta go sell insurance, you gotta go heal people. All of those things fine. I understand most people need to work regular jobs. Understandable, it's no problem. It's not, it's not a but have me in mind. Have me in mind so make sure that the ten dollars clears at the end of the month. At the end of the month, make sure the ten dollars clears. What? Just when you are a doctor, don't say, listen, I healed you. Remember, I gave you the hands. I gave you the brain. I gave you the patient. Say thank you to Hashem. When one of your investments worked out, remember, I gave you the investment. I made the investment work out. Give stakah. Give me what's mine anyway. It's not yours. And Hashem says to the Navi, Liya Kesev Eliya Zahav Neum Hashem Tzevaot. Mine is the money, mine is the gold, said Hashem, Master of Legions. It's mine. All the money in the world is mine. All the gold in the world is mine. You are mine too. That's why when someone, Hashem Shalom, commits suicide in, in Shalim, they get judged for murder. It's not your body. Who told you to commit murder? Who told you it's your body? Somebody sent me a uh, a uh, link today of this poor woman who was in serious depression and killed herself. But she left, I don't know, 30, 40 million dollars to some charity. So she asked me, is this a mitzvah? What happens to her in Shemayim? She killed herself and she donated 40 million dollars. So for killing herself in Shemayim, she's judged for murder. You're not allowed to kill yourself. doesn't matter. You're depressed, you're sick, you're whatever. It's not your body. Everything you have is on loan. And Hashem will decide what to call it. What to take back the loan. It's not for you to decide. Live, die. It's not your business. You do what you're supposed to. Second thing as far as the charity depends if she had the merit which I highly doubt to donate the money to a Torah institution then it's a mitzvah obviously that could potentially save her but if she donated to uh, you know Red Cross or maybe to build a fence for the elephant Bertha in Israel and the, uh, there's a um, there's a uh, zoo they call it the zoo of Noah and this rich couple spent $400,000 building the elephant a fence and they said Fa'ilui Nishmat to help the soul of this family what helps the soul? how is building a fence for an elephant going to help your soul? how is saving the dolphin going to give you a fwash you came to this world to save dolphins you came to the world to save great white sharks you came to the world to feed elephants there's Jews that are learning Torah Almost 24 hours a day, you don't have to find food to eat. And you're funding $400,000 fences, $30 million to the Red Cross, Abu Dazara, $40 million to all types of other stupidity to save the butterflies. You think it's a mitzvah? You're going to be judged in Shamayim for Avira, for every sin that comes out of that money. It's not a mitzvah. It's not only it's not a mitzvah, it's a sin. 
You spent, I gave you $40 million, you spent it on saving butterflies and ducks. That only happens to people who think that them and the ducks are the same thing. Them and the monkey, same thing. Just like I have a right to live, the monkey has a right to live. If you think that, you should be the monkey and you should make the monkey a human being. Because he'd probably make a better decision than you. He probably won't donate $40 million to monkeys, even though he's a monkey himself. The monkey is smarter than the guys donating for the monkeys. Now, I'm not saying you have to go kill animals with Tzal There's laws for animals. But, come on, no? So if this woman, whoever, donates millions and millions of dollars, or hundreds of thousands of dollars for this shtuyot, for this nonsense, not only is it not a mitzvah, it's a sin. So now, Rabbi Nezal bin Baltota is telling us something extraordinary that if we actually understand it and take into account it changes everything everything as soon as we switch our minds from thinking the money I have in the bank is mine to the money I have in the bank is Hashem the money I make for my boss is mine to the money I make for my boss is Hashem's as soon as you make that flip your whole life changes as soon as you start realizing the truth that nothing is yours, then you officially can say, I started doing tshuva. But as long as you think that it's yours, you haven't even begun to do tshuva. As long as you think you're contributing anything to the world, you're creating anything yourself, you're still in level A. You're still just starting. You're still in the beginning stage. Why? Because... The very basic principle is to realize that Hashem Barak created everything. First commandment. You have ten commandments. First one. I'm the only God. What does it mean I'm the only God? Well, he's afraid of competition. What does it mean I'm the only God? I'm the only one that ever was. I'm the only one that ever will be. I'm the only one that creates. Including you. You're a creation. That's it. As soon as you realize that all of us are living in his world, not he's living in our world, everything changes. All of a sudden it becomes easier to give. Because it's not mine anyway. There was a guy that I know really valued Torah. I didn't have me scared, didn't have much time to learn. Wasted more most of his life. In the business world, woke up a little late. The Torah lost a lot of money, but says, "Listen, I really want. I really value Torah. I really value Torah. I'm going to try to learn a little bit, but how much can I possibly do? These people really know Torah. Tamidei Chachamim. I wish I knew when I had millions. He says, "I wish I knew when I had millions. I'd give it all. Of them. I'll give them all of it. But all I know is when I have twenty-five thousand. I have twenty-five thousand left." That's when I knew how valuable Tamid Chacham is. He says, how could I be a Tamid Chacham? They learned 25 years from birth to 25 years and there's no guarantee they're Tamid Chacham. Me, I'm starting already in my 30s and I barely have anything. What do I know? I know Moshe was. That's all I know. But he decided one day, the 25,000 I have, I'm giving it to Avrachim. Why? 
No one asked him. No one asked him. The whole story happened, I think I said it in one of the lectures. <coughs> Someone else was looking, that had money, was looking to do something for his father that died. The typical Israeli, what do they look for to do if somebody dies? Sefer Torah. It's one mitzvah that has a lot of success. Anyone that dies usually gets a Sefer Torah. Even though it's only one mitzvah out of 613, and many has have plenty of Sefer Torah, people love the honor that a Sefer Torah brings to a family and so on. So the rabbi that knew both people, he says to the guy, listen, yeah, you can buy a Sefer Torah, it's going to be, I don't know, respectable Sefer Torah is going to be no less than $25,000, $30,000, but the type that you want is probably going to be $50,000, $60,000. Or, you can give $25,000, half, and you can help support 10 Avrechim for a few months. 10 Avrechim, 10 families you can help support for a few months. $25,000, half the price. And these people are walking, living Sefer Torah. Each one of them is better than the next. Each one of them dedicates 100% of his time to Torah. Each one is a living Sefer Torah. Not Sefer Torah that sits in a closet. And maybe or maybe not comes out a few times a week. Talk about living Sefer Torah. Morning, tonight, Sefer Torah. You touch him, you have to kiss him. For half the price, you can fund 10 of them. And their entire families. The guy says, no, it's not for me. The guy that didn't have much money, that only had 25000 to his name, the story hurt him so much, he says, I'm going to do it. The rabbi didn't tell him for him to do it. He knew he didn't have money. But the guy says, no, no, no. I can be a partner with Ten Avrechim for a few months for 25000 is everything I have. Wrote a check on the spot, wire the money. Baruch Hashem, he knows a little bit of Torah now. He become rich again? He became rich in Torah. He actually became a Tamich Hacham. Hmm. He actually knew a lot of Torah now. Never thought he was going to be a Tamich Hacham. Hashem gave him much more than money. Actually knows a little Torah. <coughs> actually became something. So, why? Mesirut Nefesh. If he would have given a half a million at the time he had 10 million, I don't know, it's 5%. If he would have given a half a million at the time he had a million, still have a lot. You're giving your last 25,000? That's Mesirut Nefesh. That means you value my Torah on anything. Understand? So, Abira Zab and Baltota is saying that guy, it's nothing special really. Why is it nothing special? All he did is he learned this Mishnah. He realized that 25,000 is not even his Bechlal. It's only Hashem, he's only returning it to him. So, oh, Hashem, you forgot this in my bank. 25,000, you forgot it in my bank, let me give it back to you. You have actual people that learn Torah all day. I'm going to transfer it from me to them because it's yours anyway. It's all he did. It's nothing special. 
the Baal Shem Tov one time had a student who knocked on his door and Baal Shem Tov says who is it? he says me <coughs> he says who is it? me and the third time he says who is it? he goes me that's one of his known students after the third time he said me he opens the door because I have a mission for you what's the mission? go to this wedding to two towns over go to the wedding once you get there you know what to do ok Rabbi says we do student of the Baal Shem Tov at Wach HaKodesh goes to this wedding he doesn't know anybody he sits there the end of the wedding they find out that there's a golden mug missing golden mug that the family had a tradition from generation to generation past this mug and it's missing so they start looking around who has this mug who's a new face this one guy who is this guy who invited him hey they start shaking him he's like where's the mug I don't have it he goes where's the mug it's not me Where's the mug? It's not me. Pah! Where's the mug? It's not me. Pah! After three times says it's not me, they let him go. He went back to the Baal Shem Tov. He says, why'd you send me to get a tikkun? I could have gotten uh, beat up over here. Why don't I need to get all the, way, all the way over there to get beat up? Because you have to go to a tikkun for saying me. Who do you think you are? Do you think people are supposed to know who you are? Me, me, me. What do you mean? I'm supposed to know it's you. You had to do tshuva in his level, in his level for thinking and assuming that the Rav will know who me means. So for saying me three times, you have to go say it's not me three times. When someone thinks that me is making the money, I'm making the money, it's not only kfirah in Hashem, it's not only heresy in Hashem that he's the one that gave it to you, but it's actually making yourself into a mini-god. And Igeret Ramban, Ramban with the letter Nun, this is a letter that he wrote to his son. Highly recommended letter, you can find it for free online, or you can buy it online from Art Scroll. They make this wonderful little book, and it has every line in this letter. It's only like a two and a half, three-page letter in English and Hebrew and but the rest of the book gives you commentary on every line in the letter this is a letter he wrote his son it's not a book he wrote a letter to his son Ramban 900 years ago just a simple letter wrote to his son the Mepharshim are giving commentary to every line in the letter and if they really wanted to they can give commentary to every word in a letter us, we can barely write a sentence, an email. Text message is the most we can do. LOL. We can't even write laugh out loud. LOL. We have all these acronyms. E has a letter. Three pages. There's a books and books and books written about commentary of a letter, a simple letter he wrote his son. Now in this letter, the Ramban says the following. And now my son, this is in the middle of the letter, not the beginning of the letter. And now my son understand clearly. This is to his son. He loves his son. He's not telling this to his son because he hates him. His son was a tzaddik. 
And now my son understand clearly. So there's no confusion. That one who's prideful in his heart towards other men rebels against sovereignty of heaven. Someone, not even thinking he's better than he's making the money, God's not there, chas v'shalom. We're not talking about that. He says, you simply think you're better than everybody else? You are moreg b'malchut shamayim. You're going against God just by thinking something like that. For he glorifies himself in God's own robes. For it is written, Hashem reigns, he dons the mantle of grandeur. It says, Pasuk in Tehillim 93. He says, this little piggy put the king's robe on and he's acting like he's the king. He's still a pig. What are you so proud of? He's still a pig. He says, you think you're better than everybody else. Why? Well, you have more than two eyes. You have more than one brain. You have more than two legs. And you, why? What makes you better? What makes you so better? Oh, you're smarter. You're richer. You're better looking. Who gave you all that? So you're taking everything that the king gave you. You're wearing his robe. But you're taking credit for it. He gave you wisdom, but you're making like you being king. You're smart. He gave you looks, you're acting like he's the one. You're the one that made yourself good looking. No, but I work out every day. So what? Who gave you the strength to work out? Who gave you the ambition to work out? Yeah, but I uh, did. Who gave you all of those things? So he continues to write this letter. For what should a man be prideful? What, what reason on earth can anyone in the world? He's talking about everyone, not just his son who's a tzaddik. Tzaddik said, "What can a man be proud for? If he has wealth, if he has money, it's Hashem who makes one prosperous. Hashem gave you the money. If he has honor, people all say, "Wow, look, this guy, mechubad, he's this, he's that." People give you honor. Honor belongs to God. As it's written in the book of Chronicles 29.12 How can one I'm sorry um, yeah, How can one glorify himself with the honor of the maker? All kavod belongs to Hashem What are you taking honor for? What? You gave the divrei Torah Hashem did it instilled in your mind If it's He takes pride in wisdom The guy learned Torah his entire life his entire life learned Torah now he's given a shiur Torah and a shiur Torah tzatzah it's amazing you're proud of yourself understand this he says God can remove speech from the most competent and take away wisdom of the aged you're the great speaker Hashem gave you a speaking ability he can make you not be able to say one word in a second one second. He doesn't have to think about it even. One second, no speech. Nothing comes out of your mouth. All the things you think you said, and you know, one second, gone. So one guy came to a rabbi one time, and he says, listen, I understand Hashem doesn't want me to do this, doesn't want me to do that. I understand, but listen, I don't feel like giving any tzedakah. I work for the money. I don't want to give it. 
The rabbi says, why not? Listen, I'm cheap. The truth is I'm cheap. I don't want to give it to anybody. That's the truth. At least I'm honest. To be honest, I'm cheap. I don't want to give it. I got this money. I don't want to give it. Because you, you know it says in the Torah, Hashem's going to punish you. So no, no. I got something. What did you do? I did a hedge. What's the hedge? Protection. What did you do? I spread the money all over the world. I put a little bit in China market. I put a little on the U.S. market. I put a little in gold. I put a little in lions. I put a little in bicycles. I put a little. I put it everywhere. So in order for Hashem to really take all of my money, He literally has to destroy the entire world. Now Hashem's going to destroy the entire world just because of my money. The rabbi says, "What makes you think that?" Hashem needs to destroy the entire world to take the money away from you. He could just take you away from the money. <laughs> like that. Heart stops, Shem Like that. All the vessels in your brain, millions and millions of vessels and lines and veins and so on. More wiring goes into your brain than all the wiring of all the telecom companies on the planet. Just one tiny little wire, microscopic wire, doesn't work. Blood gets stuck over there. For a second, gone. Gone. What makes you think he has to destroy the world to take the money away from you? He can just take you away from the money. You understand? You have a question? Yeah, he also said, Makbiya Shefalim Mashpil Gaim, right? What does it mean, Shefalim? People that are down. Mm. So Hashem, he continues in this, he says the following. All men stand as equals before their creator. All men. What does it mean, all men? What, the green and the Jews are the same? What, the guy that's rich and poor is the same? The guy that's smart and the guy that's foolish is the same? What does it mean, all men stand as equals in front of the creator? And everyone says, as a famous statement, oh, everyone's equal. That's not really true, by the way. Everyone's equal. The way they mean it is not really true. Someone that has an IQ of 250 is not the same as someone that has an IQ of 50. It's not the same. What the Ramban means here is that all men stand as equals. And what the Torah means, all men stand as equals in front of their Creator, Mm -hmm. is that all men can reach 100% of their own unique potential. Each person has their own version of 100% of their potential. Your 100% may be his 50%. He may, his 100% could be like Moshe Rabbeinu. Your 100% could be like a lower person. But if he reaches 50% of his 100% and you reach 70% of your 100%, you're much better than he is. Even though his 50 is much higher than your 70, you reach the higher level in front of your creator. Says everyone can be their own Moshe Rabbeinu. Hashem gave and instilled power in Bilam the Rasha, the same type of power as He gave Moshe Rabbeinu. 
says, you can also be Moshe Rabbeinu. Instead of using his power and the prophecy that Hashem gave him to become Bilam, a tzaddik, he became Bilam Rasha. Hashem gives all of you opportunities to be your own Moshe Rabbeinu, to be your own Sarai Menu. But you can also be Bilam Rasha, or you can be Izevil. You can be wicked, you can be righteous. But know the following. His fury is cast down on the lofty. In his goodwill he elevates the trodden, the downtrodden. Says those that are have their nose in the air, they think of themselves. The time of anger, some ticks like an atomic bomb in Hiroshima. You were all the way over there, you thought you were king of the world? Give you a tiny little mosquito. Tiny little mosquito ate your brain. Where do you go? Any leader in the world. Donald Trump, the guy from North Korea, from Iran, from all of this one, from past or present no. leaders, all of these people. You think any of them have even a quarter of the power that Titus had 2,000 years ago? They wouldn't even be his employees cleaning his bathroom. What did Hashem do to him? He sent him a mosquito. Mosquito! He was top of the world, he thought. He sent him a little tiny servant called a mosquito. To remind all of us, we're nothing without Hashem. But at the same token, he takes the downtrodden. Who? One time there was a guy, a little boy, young guy. He says, listen... This Abu Dazarah you're worshipping, it's not for me. It's nonsense. Shtuyot. Say, hey, listen, you don't worship this idol. We'll throw you in the fire. There's no picnic over here. It's not a free choice. What did he do? He jumped into the fire. You don't have to make a choice. I'm going to go into the fire. They look into the fire. They see there's not one, but there's two. Where the other one come from? Where this second one that's walking around dancing? It's the story of Abraham Avinu. Nimrod Rasha. Nimrod Rasha marad Hashem. He went against Hashem. Made everyone in the world idol worshippers. When Abraham said to him, this is all nonsense. You just made the idol. My father built the idol. You're worshipping him. I know it's fake, it's nonsense, there's only one God. He goes, well, no one God. Go in the fire, there was no problem, jumps in the fire. Now at this point, Abraham Avinu never saw God, never spoke to God. God didn't disclose himself yet. He didn't know God was going to save him. He jumped into the fire, he says, I'm better off jumping into a fire than worshipping falsehood. Worshipping J.C. Penny, worshipping some Buddha statue, worshipping some stupidity that man made. Better to jump into a fire than worshipping anything other than God. The angel screamed to Hashem, Hashem, let us, let us please go save this righteous, only person on earth that's righteous, let us save him. Hashem says, no. Just like I am one in the heavens by myself, he is one down there. He's the only one that believes in me. I'm going to go down and save him. I'm going to go save him. That's why when they looked into the fire, they saw two. They saw Avram, they saw Shem. 
obviously this is a parable, there's no physical body of Hashem for any fools that try to personify or humanize Hashem. But the point being here is that at a time that there was no one more shafel, there was no one that was lower than someone that got thrown into a fire. His father's an idol worshiper. The entire world is full of idol worshippers. You're all by yourself. Hashem says, Him, I'll make him into a nation. I'm making him into my firstborn. His son, the big dolado. His grandson, dolado. His great grandsons, twelve of them, all dolado. Their descendants, Am Yisrael. Giants, Chachamim, Tzadikim, Edwach Kodesh, prophets. Moshe Rabbeinu is his great grandson. Moshe Rabbeinu. Why? He jumped in the fire for me. So Rambam says when Hashem brings, just like he brings down those overly confident and arrogant souls, he can take the one that's in the middle of nothing, in the middle of fire and hell and all types of problems, bring him up. Therefore, humble yourself, my son, for Hashem will lift you. What does it mean, humble yourself? And Hashem will lift you. Rav Nisimi again used to say this wonderful thing. He says, the more of a nothing you make yourself, more of a nothing you think of yourself, not in comparison to everyone, but in comparison to your Creator, meaning that you know that everything you have is from Him. This is not, the Torah is not encouraging people to become depressed losers. You have talents, use them. You have skills, use them. But remember where it comes from. The more of a nothing you see yourself in, meaning the more you realize that you're depending on Hashem, the more of a something you become. The stipler Gaon, Rabbi Israel Kanievsky, so many amazing stories about him there's one story Rav Galinsky when he was still a teenager was sent away from home into a new yeshiva far away they said over there you'll do tshuva so he went into this place it's empty synagogue is empty but he hears somebody Praying on the side of the women by himself. But not praying like you and I pray, Amidash, Maisrei. No, no, no. Where's he praying? He's crying hysterical to Hashem. Hashem, grab it. You give us mitzvot. I have to grab it. Every opportunity I have, I gotta grab it. I gotta grab every mitzvah. Why am I wasting time? I gotta grab the mitzvot. Take them. They're all diamonds. And he's crying to Hashem, Hashem, I missed an opportunity to grab the mitzvot. I need to grab the mitzvot. He's like, who is this Kadosh? Who is this holy person who understands the significance of a mitzvah? And he sees this 17-year-old young guy, a little older than Rav Galinsky. I think Rav Galinsky was maybe 13, 14 years old. He sees this young guy, Mamash, giving himself Musar for not doing as many mitzvot as he can, crying about it. He says, just listening to him, I did tshuva. He showed me, I don't know him, but he showed me how valuable mitzvah is. And I immediately went to yeshiva and I committed the rest of my life to Torah. Someone asked him, who's that guy? Would you ever find out who that guy is? He goes, yeah, he's my rough. 
goes, what do you mean? Who is he? He's the stifler Gaon. He's Rabbi Israel Kanievsky. He didn't just become a Gaon. He worked for it. So the stifler said a chidush of Moshe Rabbeinu. says in the book of Numbers that Moshe Rabbeinu was the humblest human being that ever lived. But of course Moshe Rabbeinu believed in his own Torah. One of the 13 principles of faith that the Rambam put together is that Moshe Rabbeinu is the greatest prophet that ever or will ever live. He's the prophet of all prophets. Anyone that says otherwise is a kofir batoah. Another reason why Christianity is led astray because they think J.C. Penney is better. <laughs> or anybody. There's even unfortunately some sects of Judaism that think their rabbi that died is better than Moshe Rabbeinu. It's all stuyot. It's all nonsense. One of the 13 principles of faith, you're going to go, Bezal Hashem, somebody goes to conversion, somebody does tshuva, somebody wants to get close to Hashem, they have to repeat 13 principles of faith. One of them, there's no prophet that was ever or will ever be greater than Moshe Rabbeinu. Now Moshe Rabbeinu himself had to actually believe this. Now how on one hand you're going to say you're the humblest man that ever lived in the book of Numbers chapter 12, but on another hand you're saying I'm the greatest prophet that ever lived. It's a little contradiction, no? It's not a contradiction. Gaon gives an amazing chidush. He says if a poor lady, poor homeless lady, is loaned the most grand dress that ever existed to go to a wedding, is she going to go to the wedding and show off her dress? How could she show off the dress? You know she has to return it tomorrow. It's not hers. Because that was Moshe Rabbeinu. Moshe Rabbeinu knew he had all these talents. He's the prophet of prophets. Wachakodesh. Prophecy. See Hashem face to face. All these amazing things. Doladol was the one that got the Torah. Leader of Am Yisrael. The first king. Hashem decided whether Am Yisrael as a whole will live or die based on his five words. The entire nation was not as significant as Moshe Rabbeinu. Entire nation prayed for Miriam to get healed. She had Sarat. Hashem gave, punished her for saying Lashon about Moshe Rabbeinu. She meant well, but she said Lashon about Moshe Rabbeinu. Hashem <coughs> says, who are you to say Lashon about Moshe Rabbeinu? She said, but I'm a prophet. He goes, you're not a prophet like him. Yes, you're a prophet. Aaron's a prophet, but not like Moshe Rabbeinu. Not like Moshe. Nobody's like Moshe. He gave a tzarat. The entire nation started praying for Miriam, crying tears. Not like us, five minutes we want to get out of this, out of the synagogue, go to uh, work. Everyone's crying non-stop for Miriam for days. Nothing. Nothing changes. Tzarat. Aaron comes to Moshe and he says, please, she's your sister. Moshe Rabbeinu says five words. Five words. She gets healed on the spot. Five words, he says. That's it. His prayer was more significant than millions of people. 
He says, yeah, I know my prayer. I know I'm a prophet. I know all of these. And he's not blind. He's not deaf. He's not foolish. I know. But I also know it's all on alone. It doesn't belong to me. It's Hashem. It has nothing to do with me. Hashem wants to take it away. Like that, He takes it away. It doesn't belong to me. So when the stipler Gaon is explaining... When it says that Moshe Rabbeinu was the humblest man that ever lived, it doesn't say he was a some uh, self-conscious person. No, he's ultra-confident. You can't be a leader if you're self-conscious. You can't be a leader if you have no confidence. But the confidence wasn't in himself. The confidence was in Hashem. That's why he drove it. He knew everything belonged to Hashem. That's the difference between Moshe and the rest of us. We still have a large part of us that thinks we made the money. We made this. We made that. We knew this. We knew that. Moshe Rabbeinu knew he did nothing. Nothing. And for all of those people that like to believe in people, whether it's their Rebbe, or it's their idol, or it's some other so-called prophet that's not a prophet, like Muhammad from uh, Islam, guy didn't know how to read or write, but somehow they made him a prophet. Shema Hashem, if we have prophets like that. Or the other guy that was a womanizer, looking at women, they made him into a god. Shema Hashem, if we have gods like that. Think about this. How can you make this guy into anything special? He probably had stomach aches. He probably had headaches. He probably had diarrhea once in a while. How is he a god? How is he anything special? The guy was eating macaroni just like you and me. He had desires. He had this. He had that. What makes him anything special? Everything is from Hashem. Everything is from Hashem. One time there was a fancy shul that Rabbi Vadya was studying in as a teenager, young teenager. As you know, there's always somebody in the shul. There was this old man in the shul who didn't exactly value Tamidi Chachamim. So he sees Rabbi Vadya as a teenager. who's not Rabbi Vadya, he's just Ovadia climbing on a very expensive very fancy schmancy bench so he can reach one of the books he wants to get so the old man starts screaming at him, hey, 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 what are you doing? your filthy shoes, you know how much that bench costs? at the moment he said it one of the gvirs, one of the rich people of the community who was a Bukharian Jew heard this he goes hey be quiet tells the old man be quiet and he takes off his jacket which was made of gold had gold on it the Bukharians wear very fancy the old tradition Bukharians wear very very fancy clothing especially the wealthy ones they literally have gold in their clothing he had a jacket made of gold he took off his jacket he goes come he goes to the bench he puts it on the bench he goes here step on my jacket 
to get your book. So the old man says, what are you doing? You're going to ruin your jacket. Ruin my jacket. What do you think this building is for? It's for him. To learn the Torah that's in it. Not for you to sit here reading a newspaper. What do we have this Beknesset, this Betamidash? It's for him to learn Torah. Not for you to sit here yelling at the Tamit Chacham. The only reason this entire world was created is for people like him, not you and me. Hashem says, if not for people learning Torah, keeping my covenant, the rules of the world will cease to exist. There's no purpose of the world if nobody's going to learn Torah. She says, I'm putting my jacket so you can step on it to explain to you and to even to myself, he says, that all of the stuff we have is meaningless. He has the gold. He has the Torah. Rabbi Lazarish Baltota knew this very, very well. He says, everything you give to Hashem, you're not giving Him anything. It's all His. When you feed His children, all you're doing is you're saying, I enjoy being your partner, Hashem. Saying, thank you for giving me even the opportunity to give. Gemara Masechah Baba Batra, page 131b, it teaches that if a person gives all of his property to just one son after he dies, the official Torah rule is that the father didn't give him all the money, but actually just made him the legal guardian of all the money to distribute it amongst all of his brothers and sisters. Because no father would be wicked enough to give all of his money to just one son and leave the rest of his children poor. No Torah observant father. So Torah says if the father just gives all, you know, writes on his will, all my money goes to Reuven. He doesn't actually mean gives to Reuven. He said, I trust Reuven to distribute among Shimon, Yehuda, and so on and so forth. He's the one, the Chagun, he's the one that's doesn't have the Yitzhak of money. He's going to be the one to distribute it to everybody else. He's responsible for it. So obviously Hashem, who gave us this law in Mount Sinai, of course he, fo- he followed his own rule. So my ask, so how is it that Hashem gave some of his sons money and some of his sons didn't get money? If there's no such thing as a father giving all of the money to just one person, to one son, how is it that Hashem made some people rich and some people poor? How could He give so much more to one and not the other? And the Gemara responds and answers, said, no, no, He didn't give the money to the rich and not to the poor. All He did is that He made the rich the legal guardians of Hashem's money. He made you in charge of the money. $50,000 a year, He's giving $50,000 a year to be in charge of. $100,000 a year, He's giving $100,000 a year to be in charge of. A million dollars in a bank, give me a million dollars to be in charge of. Not for you to just keep it and buy houses and cars and shtiot. Obviously you need to live within reason. 
But the real part of it, the real reason why I give it to you, is to distribute to those who don't have it. Especially the ones that are fulfilling His will. Especially the ones that are learning His Torah. Especially the ones that are collecting His sons together and say, Hey, come back home. Hashem is looking for you all these years. All these years He's looking for you. On earth, 50 years, you still don't say Shema Yisrael. Shema Yisrael, you don't say. 50 years you're on earth, you don't say Shema Yisrael. Hashem is looking for you. He's calling you 50 years. You haven't answered. I finally found you. Come back. finish it off he says in the Mishnah the following he uses <coughs> the verse from the book of Chronicles where it says David Amelech says the following he says for everything is from you and from your hand we have given you meaning everything is from you and we took from your hand to put back into your hand Everything we have is really yours. And whatever we're giving, we're not really giving, it's really yours. We're just returning it to you. We're giving it to you as Talmidei Chachamim. We're giving it to you as Torah. We're giving it to Mitzvot. We're not giving anything, really. We're just taking from one hand of yours to another hand of yours. That is words of that Chronicles 1, verse 29, 14. In the previous verse before it, it says, For who am I, and who are my people that have gathered enough strength, meaning gathered enough wealth, to donate so generously? Look how we Who are we? That we have this schut to be so generous. It's all yours. So the question is, what is the deeper meaning of this? In the book of Proverbs, chapter 3, verse 18, Shlomo Melech tells us something that we repeat in Tfilat Shachrit every day at the end of Shachrit after Alen Shabeach. We say it, there's also other times during the week we say it, but mainly there. It says, The tree of life is for, its, uh, um, is for the ones that are strong holding it and the ones who invest in it end up being the ones that are happiest. So, Etz Chaim is a tree of life, is a symbolic term for Torah. It says the ones that are holding on to it, by supporting it, they're the ones that are going to be the happiest. Now if you find out, if you look at it interestingly, the sentence says, You need to know a little Hebrew for this part, but nonetheless it's still worth it's still a Hinoosh worth saying. If you look at it, it says the Mechazikim is for the ones that are strong holding it, and Ba is the letter Bet and then Hey. Which you could also read the Mechazikim Be'ashem. The ones that are strong holding to Hashem. And betumchea meushal, and the ones that are contributing to it are the ones that are the most uh, uh, praiseworthy. You can read betumchea Hashem meushal. The ones that are contributing towards Hashem 
are the ones that are most praiseworthy. So, but what King Solomon, the wisest of all men, is trying to tell you is that eternal life comes to the ones that support Torah. And this is one of the verses that he's telling us that. He says, you may or may not have been able to become a Talmud Chacham, to become a big tzaddikit in your life. You may or may not have succeeded. You may or may not succeed to reach your full potential. But how do you get to eternal life? How do you get to a point where he says, listen, I'm, I know I'm going to have enough schuyot to go to Gan Eden. Can any of us look in the mirror and say, I have enough schuyot to go to Gan Eden? says, listen, you may or may not have reached your full potential. But here's a shortcut. There's a few different things you can do. You do what you have to, but there's also a way for other people to do for you. You invest into the people that are learning Torah, you invest into the people that are fulfilling the Torah, you get their merits. They get a merit, you get a merit, because the mitzvot of, 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 of tzedakah, that's real tzedakah, are multiplied, meaning it's like fire. It's not like there's, let's say, a hundred mitzvot and only the investor gets it. No, the investor gets it, and the one that actually exercises the investment uh, gets it. So he says, now a hundred turns into two hundred. But why is this connected to David Melech? Why is Rabbi Lazar ben, uh, of Batota using this verse from Chronicles as the source for all of this? There's plenty of other sources in the Torah that talk about tzedakah, that talk about investing in Torah. Why is he specifically mentioning this verse? And I had a chidush Baruch Hashem today, and I thought about it this way. For anyone that spent even a moment learning about the end of times, they know that Chazal tells us in the Torah that not everyone necessarily is going to have the merit to be saved at the end of times. Not everybody got to their full potential. Not everybody became Moshe Rabbeinu. Not everybody became their own version of Moshe Rabbeinu. Not everybody even came, became half of their potential because we spend too much time in the material world. But the Gemara says, listen, Hashem loves you so much. He's giving you an opportunity to have like a shortcut. It's not really a shortcut, but it's a shortcut. What's the shortcut? All you have to do to be saved in the time of Mashiach is two things. Two things. A lot of things to do in the world. Two things. Torah v'gmilut chasadim. Fulfill what the Torah says. Learn Torah. Fulfill the mitzvot. Be modest. All the things that it says in the Torah. You can't be mechal Shabbat and expect the Mashiach to save you. You have to keep Shabbat. You have to keep mitzvot. And second thing is, you have to do gmilut chasadim. Gmilut chasadim means overwhelming kindness. Acts of kindness that are above and beyond just giving. Above and beyond just giving money. Meaning something that is above and beyond the norm. So for example, there's giving somebody tzedakah, and then there's taking somebody to the restaurant and giving him food over there. Or inviting him at your house and giving him the food. If it's, let's say you want to give somebody money to eat, instead of giving him $5 to go buy a non-kosher burger, 
you take him to go with you and you buy him the burger. So that's would be considered as chesed. But this specific chesed that we're talking about at the time of Mashiach is not buying people burgers. It's not talking about buying burgers. No one's going, no one's going to be saved because of what people burgers. Especially if they're not kosher burgers. <laughs> so what does he mean here? Chazal is telling us Torah, we know, right? It's easy. Fulfill the Torah. But Gmilu Chasadim, meaning above and beyond of the traditional chesed or acts of kindness, it means that you have to do something that's above and beyond your own midot. What is the biggest chesed that anyone can possibly do? Anyone. All of us. All of us at the same level, the highest chesed you could possibly do. You're way beyond. Save their soul. Saving somebody's nesham, you know, body, let's say you give them food, you're saving their body. Their body is still going to be eaten by maggots at one point. Even if you save it today, you save it tomorrow, you save them another 30 years. Eventually the maggots are going to eat it anyway. He's not going to live forever. But if you save his soul, you get him to keep Shabbat, you get him to keep mitzvot, then you're saving his soul for eternity. That's what Chazal is talking about when they say Gemilut Chasadim. They're not talking about buying people burgers and giving challah before Shabbat or inviting them to your house uh, for, for a meal if you know they're driving on Shabbat. No, we're talking about save their neshama. That's the highest level of chesed you can possibly do. So, it's like you say the whole world, right? Exactly. So, Abil Azal ben Baltota, or Baltota is saying, you, saying to you this, give him from his own, for you and your possessions are his. Everything you have, and you're giving, you're not giving really, it's all his, you're giving Hashem, from one hand to another. But Hashem loves you so much, <laughs> that even though you're just returning what he gave you, He's going to pay you for it. And how is He going to pay you? He's going to give you eternity for it. Because you use the money that He gave you to save one of His kids. To save one of your brothers, which you would do anyway if you actually acted to Him like He's really your brother. Any questions? No Amos always has questions. I have to give him a few minutes to heat up. No, it's a question. Relevant, not relevant, about, always uh, good. get it Ramban tonight, right? You get it at the Ramban. Every Sidhu has it. Yes. Well, I don't know if every Sidhu has it. I don't know. I Actually, I don't have it on my Sidhu, so I don't know. So, every Sidhu I check and has it. Like, I know at least like five Sidhu that have it in the back. Okay. Since whoever says this every day, his prayers that day will be answered. Never read that letter. It's a, uh, it's a, it's a, it's uh, a, yeah, no. So it's good to say that. What's, what's the question? You're asking a question. Does it really help to get your prayers answered? It helps you do tshuva. Mm. If you're doing tshuva, it helps your prayers answered. Because reading that alone will help, right? If you read it, your kofel tshuva is not going to help you. If you read, if you if you if you read about tshuva, but you don't keep tshuva, it doesn't help you. A woman came to the taz, the taz. She came to the taz, Rabbi David Levi, and she, the taz wrote a book. Commentary on Shulchan Aruch. Says, I need your help. I need a Kamea. I need a Shula. I need something. She's hysterical, crying. He says, well, What can I do? What can I do? What can I help you with? She goes, I need a Kamea. I need Shula. I need this. I need this. Why? What happened? What happened? The woman's hysterical, crying. 
listen, Kvod Arav, I was looking for Mikubalim, I could only find you, I need help, I need a Kameh, I need a Skula, I need Kabbalah. Well, what do you, what happened? Why are you crying? She says, my daughter has minutes to live. Minutes, not hours, not days, minutes to live. She's on a deathbed. And I remember I heard in a shiur one time, they said there's a Gemara, in Maseret Baba Metzia, page 116a, it says, if you have a sick person in your home, go to a Chacham. Go to a Talmit Chacham. And have him ask for mercy for you. So the Taz says, listen, I'm not a Mekubal. It does Kabbalah, does this, does that. I don't do that. I'm not on that level. But I just wrote commentary on the Shulchan Aruch. It's called Sefer Ataz. And I'll dedicate the Chidush. I just finished now, right before you came. I finished one of the Chidushim. I'm going to dedicate that to Refuah Shlema for your daughter. I can't get a Kamea, I can't get a Chamsa, I can't get a... No, no, no. So I give you a Chidush. All I have is Torah. I'm going to give you a Chidush. One of my Chidushim I'm going to give you for the benefit of your daughter. That's all I can offer. I'm sorry. I did it. What man says? What's she going to do? She comes home. Daughter's dancing in the house. What happened? You were dying five minutes ago. What happened? Torah. Fulfill Torah. There's no end to salvation. No end. You don't need crazy things. You don't need to play with stars. Talk to angels. You don't need any of that. Fulfill Torah. Hon. Hon shel There's endless reward for it. Endless. But you have to believe it. So reading the Igeret Aramban is great. But if you're kufir bat Torah, it's not helping you. It's actually hurting you. <coughs> learning about Shabbat, learning Musar, learning this, all of those things are wonderful. But if you're contradicting it on a day-to-day basis through your actions, it's not helping you. You can go to every modesty class on earth. But if you're still wearing short skirts, tank tops, and no kisturosh, you have a problem, my friend. You understand? So, the point of Torah is to implement what you learn. Hashem is not expecting you to be born tzaddikamur, tzaddikah, where you know everything on day one. But listen, you got to shoot Torah. Rabbi said you have to be modest. That's why it says in the Torah, I provided you sources where Hashem says, He hates zima, He hates immodesty, He hates things like that. He doesn't like it. He wants you to be modest. He wants you to be a tzaddikah like Sarai Menu. Okay, so you have to start doing it. I know it's hard. I know it's difficult. And you have to change your whole wardrobe. It's not cheap. I know people are going to look at you strange because all of a sudden there's somebody in the neighborhood that actually covers their body for heaven's sake. I know. It's not easy. It's Hashem. Same thing with a guy. All of a sudden, instead of going out bar hopping at 12, uh, 12 o'clock at night is when he begins his night, all the way to 4 o'clock in the morning, what does he do? He studies Torah, goes to sleep, goes to Minyan Nets. Goes to pray at 6 o'clock in the morning. Everybody's coming out of the club at 6 o'clock in the morning, he's going to pray. It's hard. It's a big change. He's only 22 years old. It's the time he's supposed to party in this rotten world. He says, no, no, I'm going to go to Tefillat Nets. I'm going to go pray. I'm going to learn Torah. I'm going to do good things. Why? That's why he gets the schal. He doesn't get the schal because he was born that way. He gets the schal because it's hard for him. And that's why they say the level that Baalet Shuvah stand, someone that's from their whole life can't get to. Why? Someone's from their whole life, they were born in Bnei Bark, they never left Bnei Bark. They have four walls, Sefer Torah, they never left it. 
He can't get to a level of a Baal Tshuva, 22 years old, not going clubbing anymore, and learns to lie every day. Can't get to it. Why? Because his only choices he's ever seen in his life is the four walls set for Torah. He knows it's, it's his culture. He's used to it. It's his life. But the other guy did Tshuva at 20 years old, 30 years old, 40 years old. He saw the world. He saw the naked girls. He saw the club. He saw the casinos. He saw all those things. He says, no, I still choose Hashem. I choose Hashem. It's hard, but I choose Him anyway. It's going to be difficult for me. I choose Him anyway. I'm going to have to change my life. I'm going to do it anyway. If people are going to make fun of me. I'm going to do it anyway. My husband's going to divorce me. I'm going to do it anyway. My wife's going to kill me. I'm going to do it anyway. Why? It's Hashem. Once you make that choice at the moment of truth, that's chuba. But if you keep reading books and go to lectures and watch things on YouTube, but you don't do anything, better off you didn't do it. Because in Shemayim they say, listen, you knew everything. How did you not do it? If you didn't know anything, you're ignorant, you're a little horse, walking around in creation, just filling space. Well, they come to you and say, you didn't know, you, you thought you were a horse, and the horse thought you was human. Both of you mixed spaces. But you watch Shurim on YouTube, on Torah Anytime, on Torah Bank, on this one and that one. You watched everything. Bezalotashem.org. You went to a Shur Torah. You had CDs. You had this. You had that. You listen to all Shur Torah. You still didn't do Tshuva. There's nobody worse than you. Yes, then. No. So Hashem, this is another Shur that will wake up people from all over the world. Because right now there's a spiritual war, but there's many, many souls to save. Anyone that's serious about Hashem, serious about God, it's about time. If to do something about it, if you want to convert, get serious with it. Stop wasting time. You want to do tshuva, get serious with it. Stop wasting time. The reason why is because Hashem says at the end of times to the uh, to the prophet Ezekiel, whether you want to or not, you will serve me. So it's better you learn from me to a nice, funny, sometimes funny shiurei Torah that are interesting, intimidating sometimes. It's better you learn from me. Because it's just words. Because if Hashem says you're going to serve me anyway, that means you can either learn from a seminar or a shiur Torah or a YouTube video or you can learn to Him talking to you. When He talks to you, it's painful. I have a little experience with that too. So better we learn that way. It's much better for us. And realize that His is His. Everything is His. The more we realize that everything is His, the Zod Hashem, the closer we are to Him. Baruch Adonai Le'olam. Amen ve'amen.